Welcome to another episode of Cathode Raycast. We are going to start just like diving into, I believe, one of our favorite television shows that we've watched in the past five years. I'm Bernadette Gorman. Today I'm joined by... The lovely Mike Burge. And we are talking about HBO's The Leftovers today. And I frequently go on Netflix whenever I finish a series... I frequently go on HBO, I go on Netflix, I go on Hulu, Showtime, and I look for things that I've been meaning to watch, because I just forget. I should have a list. But I just scroll through, and I was going to start The Wire. I haven't watched The Wire yet. I know. That'll be... I think that's next. I just started Big Love. The Wire is a little Christmas present underneath the tree of life for every person that hasn't (laughs) watched it. I'm really pumped. But I know I remember reading about The Leftovers last year when it ended and how perfect the series finale was. And I thought, okay, I've heard so much praise that I have to dive into this. And it's only 28 episodes long, 10 episodes in the first season, 10 episodes in the second, and eight in the last season. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I can tackle this in like a week. And I did. And I cried multiple, multiple times and have gone back and rewatched specific episodes. And I could not believe how moved I was by this show. Just overwhelmingly so. And then I wrote an article that you can find on storyscreenbeacon.com about the music, specifically the music, because I didn't want to talk about it because I want people to watch it and experience it in their own right. And that's what led you to watch it. And now here we are talking about it. Yeah, it's uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pat your back a lot in like the first half of this. Uh, the, the the article was, it's it's not only one of the best articles we put up on Story Screen Beacon. I think it's one of the best articles I've ever read where it was spoiler free and really communicated what a show is or a movie is about and how it makes you feel and why you should watch it without giving anything away because. My background with The Leftovers was, you know, I love TV. It's great escapism. It's good comfort food. Mm-hmm. And I watched the first two episodes of The Leftovers a couple years ago when it first aired. I It just did not connect with me. Uh, and I dropped it. And I've never thought about it again. I've never even really heard about it. I didn't hear that, like, the series finale was phenomenal. Now, doing research and looking in, I can see, like, when that series finale hit last year at this point in, in 2017, mm-hmm. which I think is almost to the day. I think so. I think it's like it was like June 2017 was the last episode. Uh, I just never really heard about it. And I started watching it pretty much because I edited your article for the website and you said it was spoiler free. So I was like, cool, I'll read it. And I read it. And it's all about how music plays a very important role in the mood and the character and the themes of the leftovers and you're absolutely right um it's one of the greatest uses of music in film uh ever uh you know there are things that you can put in there such as musicals or like really classic 
like like Casablanca is almost right. defined by its music, whether it's the score or the songs they choose to put in there. And this is right up there with something like that. The the show, I watched it all probably in about like 28 episodes. Quick watch. Mm-hmm. Can't recommend it enough to anybody. Uh, it's one of the greatest shows ever made. I agree. And this coming from a person that just finished watching it probably about a week, maybe a little bit more, like eight days ago. And I can't get it out of my head. I've watched the series finale four times. Mm-hmm. I'm a big rewatcher of episodes of TV that I really like. I don't know if you watch Westworld. I do. There's the in the second season of Westworld. There's the episode that's mainly ma- the Man in Black uh, centric. Okay. Um, and it's slightly longer than most of them. It's an hour and fifteen minutes, and it is one of the tightest episodes of TV I've ever watched. And it it kind of reinvigorated my. My faith desire in in, in Westworld. Uh, that it, most I, recent episode reinstilled my faith. The uh, I, I'm gonna butcher his name. Akacheta, the the Native American, the Lakota uh-huh, man. Yeah, that episode was also. It's a fantastic. Strong, like Westworld yes. is on a roll. The past couple episodes where they've started being more like character centric. Yes. In an episodic nature, mm-hmm. and that's where the show is going to like find its shit. I mean, uh, like that's like you know talking about the leftovers too, and we'll get to this definitely. You know, Lost redefined what TV could be, whether it was on like big budget stuff like HBO or like ABC, which was Lost, and it, they created this idea where it's like the characters are treated with more. Uh, like centric compassion than the story they're actually telling. And that's where you get your best shows. And the leftovers is a lot like that. The leftovers is dealing with all of these crazy wild themes, but also at the same time, there's amazing character work and amazing acting. Yeah. I mean, Justin Thoreau and Carrie Coon alone in this goddamn show, Mm. giving you the feels left and right. Yes, absolutely. They took a couple of characters that were very, very well written and just elevated them to a whole other level. And also with uh, Patty Levin, who's played by... Ann Dowd. Ann Dowd. And then Christopher Eccleston's character, Matt Jameson, Nora's brother. Those four. Not to say that any of these other actors are not pulling their own weight. They certainly are. Mm. But those four were the powerhouse actors, in my opinion, in this show. Yeah, mm. the acting's phenomenal. And I guess, like, we should get it out of the way for the listener. Like, we're going to we're, we're gonna start doing spoils, like, right off the bat, right? Because I think so. I it's hard. to jump into this. I feel like, yeah. you know, we've been talking about it now for about, like, six minutes and stuff, and we're praising we're, it. We're like, being really nice. And, and it's 28 20. episodes. If you haven't watched it, like, listen to me. You're going to love it. Unless you're one of those dicks that didn't like the ending of Lost. I, I And I still think you will like it, like with yes. that. Because Damon Lindelof is connected with both of them. Correct. They're both these kind of mystery shows, what's going on. And, you know, you can... Yes. And, and I say dicks that didn't like the ending of Lost. It's it, it's the actual definition. Like, because they wanted the answers to the questions that they thought were important. And when they didn't get them, they... Mm. Yeah, like, like, you're being a dick. Yeah. You're being a dick. Like that's not. Yeah. You're not writing the show. Right. So, and I get why people don't like the ending of Lost, but this is very much a Damon Lindelof has learned his lessons on shit. I mean, the fact that the main event of the Leftovers takes place on October 14th is also the date a few years before the show that Damon Lindelof uh, quit Twitter. 
It was October 14th. Yes. It's, I, I can't imagine that that's a coincidence. I have never read the book. I don't think so. I don't, I've never read the book that it's based off of by Tom Parada. Correct. And I also have not, but I did read the wiki page. And okay. I'm so glad that they made the changes that they did to okay. the show. And we can get into that too. Because it's kind of like a Handmaid's Tale kind of thing, yes. where it's like the it was the first season's the book, the book, and then they kind of build on it with Tom Parada kind of going along with Damon Lindelof. Like Damon Lindelof has a writing credit on every single episode, which yes. is always good. Yes, having somebody in there the holding whole time. it down, anchoring it down onto like what they're trying to do. And Damon Lindelof is a guy who, uh, I, I've said in the past that I don't like him. Uh, because there's a lot of shit that he's done that, like, you know, like Prometheus and like, there, mm. there, there's weird shit like that. Mm. But mm-hmm. it's, he's, he's a, he's a, uh, he's a challenging writer. Lost left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And mm. I loved it when it ended and while it was going on. But some people have gone back to it and gone, they've reevaluated it and they're right. like, it's good. And I've gone back to Prometheus recently and I'm like, no, Prometheus is actually pretty good. It's got See, some. I re- really enjoy Prometheus. It's got some. It's got some glaring faults. Sure. But they're not really to the fault of the movie, especially because Alien Covenant also really kind of tied all that up. And it's like right. as a whole, it, each film is kind of shitty on their own. But as a whole, you're like, ooh, this is kind of like a fun thesis right here. They're puzzle pieces. And yeah, you kind of need the whole puzzle for that series. Yeah, and he's a puzzle maker. Like, that's kind of like his whole thing is like, I'm going to do Lost. I'm going to do Leftovers. I'm going to do Prometheus. I'm going to build this world where it's like, look at the questions. But then, you know, like Lost, this the intent of Lost at all times was like, questions are important. The answers answers aren't. aren't. Yeah, and that's... Leftovers is more like if Lost was like philosophy 101 Mm -hmm. in the sense of like questions and answers and what they mean to people. Leftovers is like philosophy 106. Like it's, he's Damon Lindelof has, right. He's Damon Lindelof has learned his lessons. He's not hindered down by like the bombastic celebration of Lost being a TV show on the air Mm -hmm. and having this huge fan base. He's able to kind of take a step back and go, from the get-go, this is what we're doing. Right. And The Leftovers is just like, it's a goddamn masterpiece of TV. absolutely. I think whereas Lost, your whole belief in the show itself is based on you believing that this fantastic event occurred and Lost just keeps giving you these fantastic events that are, they're telling you these things are real. How do you deal with this as a viewer? In The Leftovers, they give you the sudden departure, which took place on October 14th. Season one picks up three years after the sudden departure happened, where 2% of the world's population just vanished. Some people think it's a rapture. Other people aren't so sure. Uh, some people are trying to actively prove that it wasn't a rapture that it has nothing to do with god other people are building their entire life on the fact that it was a rapture and that is the only fantastic event that lindelof is telling you like this is what happened now everything else i'm going to show you on top of this you get to decide if this is happening or not mm-hmm. your belief in the show is based on the characters not necessarily all of these crazy elaborate things that are happening right and i think that is beautiful it's like yeah as you said he learned from lost and he's taking all of these ideas of religion and philosophy and personal struggles 
and what intense, oh my gosh, like life experiences and dealing with depression and dealing with suicidal thoughts Mm -hmm. and just basically dealing with all the repercussions of having PTSD from a certain event in your life and how that warps the human mind on top of not just these characters, but as an audience, as the viewers, surely it's relatable to anyone who's dealt with a loss of any kind. And Lindelof is saying, all right, you deal with this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to give you the answers. It does not matter. Like, these things may or may not be happening, but you are feeling because of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was a very spoiler-free thing. So if you, right. have, if you have not watched the show yet and you want to, go back and read the article about the music. If you're wanting to watch it before listening any further, great. If you need us to convince no, you do a that. little bit no, more. No, like, do that. If you're listening, <laughs> do that. Like, it's it's not a request. And by the do end it. of this, we will have convinced you. If you're not convinced yet, we will convince you by well, the no, end. No, we don't want to convince you by the end of it because, like, <laughs> You'll know not everything. knowing what's going to happen in the show is, like, one of the best parts because yes. the show is insanely creative mm-hmm. and ingenuitive and just, like, it, it's it blows me away that this show flew under my radar for so long. I agree. It is... It was, I couldn't, like, I watched the first two episodes, and the first two episodes are all set up. Yes. And that's why I wasn't digging it, because I didn't realize, like, they are really setting everything up for this bigger world, because the very next episode, the third one, solidifies what the show is. And it's one of the best episodes of TV I've ever seen. It is. Yes. Again, this is the end of spoiler free. We're going in. The third episode... I've been telling everybody how I've been hooking them on the show. I've been getting chills just you even saying the third episode. It's like the third episode, you know, there's all this stuff going on with the sudden departure and the continuity of the plot and the characters that you've been introduced to in the first two episodes. But at the core, the third episode is about a priest who is going through an existential crisis, having to come up with $135,000 in less than 24 hours in order to save his church that has been a part of his family for generations. And what lengths this man will go to to secure it to be able to do that. And it is, it is just like fucking electric TV. It is great. And the show has its ups and downs as far as quality per episode. Correct. But there's not a bad episode in the bunch. There's not. There's just like masterpieces hidden all throughout that when you compare just like your standard episode that's just like all right we got to get some exposition out here we got to set this up because we got this happening in a couple more episodes it just kind of goes like well no i want another one of those but you know you you can't eat like you know chocolate uh sundays every day you're only gonna every now and then you gotta like snack on a hershey bar like it's it's still good Right. And, and, and kind of bad for you, which TV's, <laughs> TV's bad for you, like, in that sense. But Yeah, you're yeah. sitting and you're not getting exercise There's and no, you're straining your there eyes. There is and- no difference between reading a book and watching a TV show. I'm there's not a, arguing There's that. a huge difference between reading a book and watching a movie because a movie is quick. You're in, you're out, fun. You learn some stuff, maybe. A TV show normally has about the same... Span. Span of like time that you're going to have to spend. Your average book that's about 200, 250 pages, it's going to take you like six, seven hours to read it. Mm -hmm. Your average TV show, you know, like season blah, 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 blah. You're pretty much putting in the same amount of time. True. Uh, There's no difference. It's just like one uh, looks way cooler because you're like reading. Is your little puppy. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) 
Uh, one is like you're reading, and like as we know, smart people read. That's true. We both have glasses. We do. Uh, <laughs> I'm not wearing mine right now because I don't need to. He he owns them, listeners. <laughs> I own the glasses. Don't wear them all the time, like some snob. That's true. Constantly having to see clearly, because <laughs> that's not what I use them for. That's true. I use them for to look into effects. the future. Yeah, because oh. I like to. I like to lean them down a little bit on on the bridge of my nose yes. and look at somebody and go. Are you serious? That's going to be my new catchphrase. (laughs) Are you serious? I hope to hear this two more times during this podcast. Yeah. I'm really excited about talking about this show because you introduced it to me. And I can't thank you enough for it. It's a show that taught me some really valuable lessons about myself because the show is very Mm self-reflective. It's very much asking you, like you were talking about before, Lost says, this is what's going on. How are our characters and you going to deal with it? This show, every single thing can either act as literal or metaphorical. Right. The departure, outside of the departure, the departure happened. Yes. And even that, we don't know what happened. Right. And that's what the the show ends with one of the greatest show of cards where it goes, here's the answer. Do you believe that that's what the answer is? Right. And then on top of that, you've got, do you care that one character would make this up? And do you care that one character would choose to believe this and why? All of these emotions. I was crying my goddamn eyes out for the last 10 minutes of the series finale. It is... (sighs) Oh, I know. It is... uh, It's a beautiful show filled with beautiful characters and beautiful music. And just everything about the show is beautiful. And I can't wait to share it with more people. Like I I told you earlier off mic, I've been trying to find people that have seen it. And and trying to like recommend it to people. I've gotten three people to start watching it since I finished. And I've met two people that have watched it that I didn't know. And it's almost like You're this, like, club. it's like this unspoken badge of honor that they didn't yes. know that they had. I'll be like, I'll, I'll ask somebody, have you seen the leftovers? Have you heard of it? And I'll either get like, no, I never heard of that. Or, uh, Oh, I've been meaning to like, how is it? Or I'll get a complete look of just like absolute, just like loss of control of in the eyes. Just like, Oh, I've, 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 I've been down that road, buddy. And it is, I can't wait to watch it again. Me too. Me too. Uh, that third episode. So if you guys aren't aware, there's a faction of people that at first you don't know if they are just in the town at the beginning of the season. They're called the Guilty Remnant. They wear all white. They chain smoke. They don't speak. They write everything down. And their whole purpose is to be living reminders of the people who were departed. And their purpose, they think that life has moved on and they don't want people to move on from that event. They want people to be constantly reminded of that sudden departure. And the struggle between people who are trying to just live their lives and the members of the Guilty Remnant is a constant bashing of heads for the duration of the series. And in that third episode, uh, the episode where Matt Jameson, the preacher, who is Nora Jameson, Nora Dunn Jameson, uh, Carrie Coon's character, their siblings. Mm-hmm. Nora has lost her entire family, her husband and her two children, during the sudden departure. And she's kind of a 
celebrity in the town because of it. She is mm-hmm. the only person to have who have lost her entire immediate family. But in that third episode where Matt is trying to save his church, the entire reason he goes to a casino, he gets mugged, he wins all this money. It's just a constant build up of excitement and drama. And he can he do it? He believes he it? that he believes that he can. God is going to help him be able to do it. And there's pigeons and and, and faulty and... stoplights and everything pushing him in the direction, and it's working out. Mm-hmm. And then the last. 20 minutes of the episode, he's driving to the bank. He has the money to save his church. And he sees someone stone a member of the guilty remnant as they're walking down the street. And he gets out of his vehicle to give aid to someone that he sees as needing help. He's a good dude. He's a good dude. And he gets stoned. And he wakes up in the hospital and... He rips off his hospital gown and changes in, into his clothes and makes a Manic mad dash. Like, I gotta get to the bank. And the I, bank I, is closing at it's four. Almost time. It's almost four o'clock. Yeah. And then he gets to the bank and he's pounding on the door and they finally let him in. And he says, I have the money. I have the money. And they say, this was three days ago. Mm-hmm. He's been unconscious three for days three days. Late. He missed it. And then the and he was able to get the money. <sighs> and, then, <laughs> and then the people, and this is a person I don't even really know. Right at this point in the show, like by the end of the show, like Matt's like one of my dudes. He's my boy. This is the third episode. This is like three hours uh, spending with this guy who's like not really in the first two episodes all no. that much. He's more just like a faith religion. Get it? We're gonna talk about it. <laughs> and I'm genuinely so upset. Because in one hour of TV, they really make you connect with this guy. Yes. And, under, and like, you know, the ideology of a person who is a priest and has devoted this amount of their life to religion is as far removed from me as you can possibly get. I am, I'm, I'm one of those people, I'm not an atheist. I'm like, sure. I'm like the atheist of atheists. I'm like, nothing matters. Everything's meaningless. Except for the here and now mm-hmm. and who we are and what we do and, and, and the stories we tell and the stories we create. Like that's, that's my that's religion. And that's very much, I think, what this, what this show is attempting from one point of view. Yeah. One aggressive point of view because there's, there, there's the left and the right of the show and you can go all the way to one side, all the way to the other or fall somewhere in between, whether perfectly balanced or somewhere on the other. And that's, the idea of the literal and the metaphorical that they're using every single, every single scene can be taken literally or metaphorically. Yes. Whether they're talking about something that's like a man can hug people and heal them or a man is coming back from the dead countless times. And when right. he dies, he goes to purgatory or is he just losing his fucking mind as they have shown us proof that he is. Right. It's all about belief and what you what you believe is actually happening. And it's, how the hell did they make this show? Like, it's nuts. It's such a great idea. It's, yeah, completely bewildered that this show even exists. But yeah, to see Matt get to the church, he's gotten to the bank, told that he has not saved his church. It has been bought from under him. By? By the guilty remnant. And he pulls people up, he and tried helping. to save and it screwed him over. Oh, just, yeah, this show is no good deed goes unpunished. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, since oh we're goodness. in spoilers and stuff like yeah. that, I'd love to, 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 like, Matt's culmination as a character mm-hmm. in the show where Matt is kind of like the John Locke 
of yes. this show where it's yes. every season he gets an episode and they're the best episodes. Yeah. You know, his his episode in the second season, which is all about um you know, Matt's episodes kind of uh, glorify the idea of like uh, the seven deadly sins. And I haven't really fully mapped this all out, mm-hmm. um, but it's very much like the first one is very much about um, uh, like greed mm-hmm. and like he's going to a casino and he's doing all of this stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that in the second season, it's very much this pride where his existential crisis is kind of coming to a head right. where he's being forced to question like, is God, is God real? Right. And, but he doesn't want to present that to anybody. He he's dealing with it himself, himself. internally, which again is and a, through his wife. Another thing that the show does very well is really tackle the idea of the male ego mm-hmm. and the idea of the male hero and what it is to be a man and heroic. Mainly in Kevin, who yes. himself is dealing with a a, a huge uh, crisis of self. Right. Well, he's been Kevin. Kevin Garvey Jr. is, he is essentially a dead human being. He is like the zombie of the show. He's mm-hmm. not truly awoken until the end. And he didn't end. necessarily lose anybody in the sudden departure. It's no. he lost everything. He lost control. Right. He, was, he realized like as a person who's a police officer and everything like that is, I, I have, he has the line. It's like when it happened, people were coming to me because I'm a police officer and they wanted me to help. And I, I can't. and he's like, and I couldn't. And he stops and he goes, I didn't know how. Right. And that's the loss of control. And so right. if you can't control something, that's what like there's no control to have. Right. It's you don't even know how you would begin to attempt to gain control. Or have any idea of your own purpose right. anymore. And that's like Matt in the third season in his in his like fi- like his big episode he is brought face to face with a literal or Sup- metaphorical supposed god figure. God. Mm-hmm. And he now is able to have a conversation with somebody who he may or may not believe is God. And we as the audience may or may not believe that he is. We're given reason to think that he is. Sure. Um, because he was he was in Kevin's uh a visions. Yeah. yeah. And so how could Kevin think of this guy as a god figure if he isn't a god if he, figure? If, if like he's never seen him before, but we're also shown that he has been. The TVs have been reporting on him, right? And so they could have shown him a picture, and that could be why Kevin is his psyche is bringing that up. Like a, there's right. all of these little loopholes where it's like anytime you think like, well, Kevin has to be going to purgatory because this. If you look hard enough, there are things, little tiny things speckled throughout the show that go, well, no, he could have got he that from this. Right. Like it's, he could just be losing his mind and we're just seeing it. Absolutely. I think there's a theory that when you dream, any character in a dream is a person you have seen, mm-hmm. but maybe didn't focus on. Right. And yeah, that's Kevin when he goes to Right. His... That's like the interesting thing that it's like uh, the human mind cannot create a new face. A new face. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it can, it can and pull perceive. and it can't mix match. Like, it can't really, it's, like, the subconscious brain can't do that, which I think is really cool, because the conscious brain can't. The conscious brain can take, like, oh, these five faces, and I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do that. But the subconscious brain actually can't. I've read that before. Right. That's super crazy. 
That's nuts. That we can't do that. Yeah. We can be like, oh, I was like, my head was on a snake and I was like going to Six Flags, but there were only five. Like it can do that, but right. it can't create a new a face. A new person. Yeah. Yeah. Or a new creature or what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. And so like Matt in season three in that episode is given the opportunity to like, I can talk to what is believed to be the personification, the, the, the physical embodiment of God. And he chooses to tie it to a, like a, a chair mm-hmm. and beat it. And eventually comes and says like, I gave you My everything life. and you won't even give me a straight answer. And like to his credit, uh, what's his name? Tom Duncan, Tom, John, John Durden. The guy who's impersonating God Imperson- or, or, or God. is God. Yeah. Yes. Ah. I, like him, him, yeah. Him. It's, he, he was a dude who was in the Olympics and competed and supposedly was on a safari somewhere and was thought to be dead. Mm. And then he was he, rock climbing. Yes. And he, he went to fell, a cave. And he fell. Mm-hmm. And his friend thought like, he was dead. Thought he was and dead and find help. Put him in a cave so they wouldn't get eaten up. Mm-hmm. Obvious religious metaphors going right. on there. A lot of Lazarus for the going white, on here. the white religion. Yeah. Uh, and the white religion. The white religions. Yes, uh, the Catholic religion that I'm familiar all with. All the religions. <laughs> um, and and the guy like went away, and then when he came back, he was he just was like, fine. Hey, outside here. the cave. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is like the same thing that happens with Kevin throughout yes. uh, season two and season three is that he can he dies twice in season two and comes back, and when he leaves, he goes to one of the funnest places to spend an episode of TV. <laughs> It's like the first one is like it's just a hotel and then he goes back to the hotel, but it like builds on it a little more like that well episode is just like, get the fuck out of here. God damn it, this show. I want to like slam my fists on the table. I can't wait to watch it again. And I've been physically holding myself back. From talking about it? Not just talking about it because I have no one to talk to about it. I've met two people that I could talk to about it. This is like I'm blowing up. But I didn't want to rewatch. I didn't want to start rewatching it until I talked about it for the podcast because I think it was at the uh, soul crushing episode nine of season one Ooh. that I texted you and said like we are gonna have to talk about this because this show is fucking me up. So episode nine in season one is the Garveys at their best, and it's a flashback episode, and you see what all these characters were up to on the day of of the departure. Yeah, it's your your classic lost flashback kind of thing. You've been presented with these characters. You see their angst. You see where they're coming from. And now let us show you why. How it happened. Yeah, and it is... It is... I put my hand over my mouth like a gasp, like a say it isn't so... At the final scene where, where it's revealed that Lori, it's on the why bed. she's doing this is that she looks at her screen, and the, baby's the, the, the baby screen, and she's, and we don't even see if no. the baby's gone or not. We can tell from the look on her face and the predicament of everything. And we can see why it is. And I like, I'm getting goosebumps. It's oh, just yeah. like, it, it, and this is a person that I've spent nine hours with. This is like, they pull shit out of you. In the penultimate and season finale of season one, that is wholly reserved for characters that you've spent like four or five seasons with. Absolutely. You know, like Mad Men, one of the best shows on TV, didn't get that kind of emotional flux out of me until well into the third season when they started hitting their stride. Right. This goddamn show comes out of the fucking gates. And I'm an idiot 
for judging it based on the first two episodes. I just didn't know. I was an ignorant little fucker, and I didn't know, and I'm just so goddamn happy that I got to watch it. It's one of the best things I've ever experienced. Not just books, TV, movies, music. It's one of the best things overall. It was such a fun time to watch it. Yeah, I've said this to a lot of people. I like this show. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I've said this to a lot of people. I am Catholic. I was raised in a very heavily Catholic household. Uh, Raised by a single mother. I'm the oldest of four. I've done all of the things. Baptized. First communion. uh, Reconciliation. Confirmation. I've done it all. I still go to mass. Uh, I've had my years where I've fallen off the wagon. Uh. During college, I certainly didn't go very often. And then getting out of college and kind of going back to it and realizing the comfort it brings me. Uh, granted, I do not believe in everything that the Catholic Church professes to be true or right, but there are certain elements that really speak to me and definitely bring me a lot of comfort. Uh, but g- going to this show, I've never really said to anyone before that I wish I had a better understanding of my faith until I watched this show. <laughs> And I thought, I'm missing things here that I should be picking up on. And it's because I do not know enough about religion mm-hmm. to fully understand this show. And I think I'm picking up on a lot of things, but I know I'm missing things, too. Right. Like, I, I'm not religious, but, like, I grew up, my family was uh, Catholic, and we went to church um, two, three times a week. Right, uh, right. My grandmother on my mother's side is... Uh, Heavily religious, almost to a being an asshole level. Right. Um, there are those people. But my mom, who is like one of the best people on the planet in the history of the world, you know, I, I think I was uh, about 12 or 13 and she was like, look, you're having too much fun at Sunday Mass. Are you digging this? And I'm like, mm, I like the stories and stuff, but like they just tell the same ones. It is a lot and of she was like, you don't have to go if you don't want to. And I was like, oh, I don't want to. She was like, cool, you can play in the courtyard while we go into church for an hour, and then we'll come out and get you. See, that's what I'm going to do with my children, but my mom would have never said that. Right. It's I a, was in that pew. Yeah, my mom, my mom is a, you know, um, moderately religious person, you sure. know, to a, to a, I'd say kind of above average okay. religious uh, when it comes to the Catholic sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually heard a recent interview on NPR on the way to work at some point. And they said that 25% of the U.S. is no longer religious. And that that percentage is much higher with people under 30. I mean, it's like the idea idea of God is dead. Yeah. Which is very much something that this show's dealing with. It's uh, we we have, you know, God is a, the idea of gods or a God is a very old uh, idea. It's becoming very antiquated. We are moving into like, we're at a point now where it's like, we can't even imagine what the world is. And life is going to be like 25 years from now, quarter of a century, because it's we're changing so aggressively. Right. And when you're presented with the idea of just like nothing's going on, all of these stories that we have from the Bible, like there's nothing like that mm-hmm. ever in recorded history for over 2,000 years, you're going to start getting some like really weird shit. And that's the leftovers takes that into account. It goes like, well, right. what if something did happen that was like, we can't, science can't explain that. And we don't know what the hell it is. And it kind of eerily resembles this thing from that old book that people have been reading for a while. Right. Um, but getting back to like, I'm not very religious, but yes. when I was growing up, one of the, like, it's like, uh, it, it's a thing with me. It's not a bit. 
story screen wasn't named that just like for fun and now i'm like story champion i've always been a, a connoisseur of story i love story and so i've read the bible before mm-hmm. uh, old testament and new and really i've and, never read the whole Bible. yeah like when i was young like they made sure. you read it and it's like i don't remember the exact like you know acts and arcs and beats of different sure. things but sure. like i can watch a show like this and i'd be like Joe writes, gotcha. And like, right. oh, there's a really big Noah thing going on here. Like the basic kind of stuff. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I also love to, um, the dude who says that he's God and he has like the business cards and on the yes. back of it, he has all of this stuff and he's got the one thing and he says, um, I asked, uh, what was it? Was it Isaac to kill his son Abraham or Abraham to kill his son Isaac? It's, uh, I think it's Isaac to kill his son Abraham. I think so. Something like that. I love it. He's like, I just asked Isaac to do it to see if he would. And I'm like, that's fucking fantastic because that's what What the story is. Like, that's what it is. Like, he stopped him at the last minute. The only reason he would do that is, or she, who knows? Sure. Um, I mean, I think. Are you loyal? I think in Catholic and Christianity, God is heavily a man. Yeah, I really like the Alanis Morissette thing, though. That's pretty cool. Of course. Well, but yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> is that like if God was one of us? Oh, it's... Uh, no, in, who did God is one of us? It's in Dogma, Alanis Morissette. Please no, God. oh yeah, you're right. But, but uh, who said, who's saying, what if God was one of us? Is that Alanis Morissette? That's not Alanis Morissette. I think it's a, it's a male, isn't it? No. Is it the woman? What if God was... That's my girl voice. What if God <laughs> was one of us? Yeah, we need yeah. equal rights. We should be able to... True, vote. true. I don't know if it was Alanis. If it was, that's even better. It's not Alanis. It's not. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> we'll look it up during the the halfway point, listeners, mm. and get back to you. You'll be looking it up on your phones as you're listening. So you'll find out before us. Before or they gonna... even know right now, and they're they yelling. They're like, it's, it's this person. It's that person. It's Jewel. It's, it's Orson yeah. Welles' granddaughter. Like, she wrote the song. <laughs> Could be true. Could be true. But yeah, no, there are a lot of really good beats in The Leftovers that makes you think back on your childhood and think, yeah, we were taught that, but we perceived it in a certain way, or the way religion professes these stories to be true is kind of preposterous, and you don't really question it until you're an adult. There's a lot of blind faith when you're a child, and unfortunately, it's a lot of children who are like, I don't want to stay there for an hour. I want to hang out with my friends. And then when you get older, you're like, oh, no, there were like real reasons to question these things and maybe not com- be completely satisfied with being told that this is how things are. It's just a progression of maturity. Yes. And The Leftovers takes that and makes you question it even further than your own coming to realization of things on your own, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. Well, religion at like the base of what religion is, is it is either a um, coping mechanism for life. Or a moral guide. I, I feel like I would throw those into the same, same thing. thing. It's like like a coping me- mechanism, not even as a negative derogatory term, just like a way to deal with the shit like an existence. Right, right. Or it is a uh, controlling tool. Absolutely. Which is... I would almost lump all three of those things together. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It is like somebody... It it can be like hierarchies can use religion to be able to... Like, it's really weird that religions down the line present the idea of like, don't... Don't do this. Do crimes. Don't Don't, 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 don't hurt things. Don't Because they're like, there's all these people and we need to make sure that they don't do it because like, what's stopping them? Like, we, we kill them? 
And then, like, they're just dead. Like, they're not going to care. It was like, what if when you die, depending on what you did, you get, like, a reward. And the right. reward diminishes the more bad shit you do. They'll behave themselves. Like, it's a very obvious thing. Right. You're going to use that. And The Leftovers is a show that is about uh, four main things. The, le- the Leftovers is about uh, control and uh, the uh, perceive the, the the I guess like the perception of normal of normalcy. Yes. The control and normalcy, and then what happens to those two things, those two ideas, when grief and loss are introduced, mm-hmm. when that when unexplainable grief. Or exactly, loss. Yes. or or even explainable. Or like, explainable. It's like it's presented as like you know. I mean, uh, Justin Theroux's character, Kevin, is. He didn't lose anybody in the sudden departure. All no. of the things that he's dealing with are his family is falling apart at the beginning. Right. He he his son his like his uh, his stepson has uh, has abandoned the family and is running away. His wife has abandoned the family and his joined the guilty remnant. The only connection he has with his family, his father has lost his mind. He's in a, an insane ward. Who the, was also the chief of police until exactly. this event happened. Yeah. Yeah. And the only connection he has, like the only familial connection he has is with his daughter, which is on the goddamn fucking edge. And Thanks the only reason it's still happening is because she's in high school and she has to live with him. And yeah, I mean, high school is a tough time for anyone uh, just growing up. I think we all go through those strifes anyway. But yeah, take your mom joining this faction where she has nothing to do with I you. I love that they hold that you. back for so long, too. Ooh, yeah, in the pilot, you are hearing about people saying, like, yeah, I'm so sorry about your mom, to Jill, the you daughter. Think like, oh, and you think she departed. Kevin's wife departed, and that's departed. why it's all fucked up. And yeah, you find out at the end of that pilot that no, she is in the guilty remnant. And that is. Is that fascinating. the first episode that I they think do that? So. No, I don't think so. Because. Kevin I think they asks, hold that back for a bit. Kevin asks Jill at the very end of the pilot, the town is getting together to do their memorial service mm-hmm. to those who have departed. They're going to unveil this statue. And Kevin, as Kevin Jr., as the new chief of police, is telling the mayor, don't do this. Our town isn't ready for this. You know the guilty remnant are going to show up. Uh-huh. And you... You hear him telling his daughter, Jill, I don't want you to come to this memorial. Of course. And we're all thinking it's because Jill is still sad about her mother being departed. But the reason that Kevin didn't want her there is because her mom would be there. Oh, of course, this is hindsight stuff, but I don't think they actually actually reveal it until like five or so episodes in. Oh, no. I disagree. I think Uh, it's in the pilot. I mean, it's like, obviously, if you're... If you're like me and you can pick up on things, um, <laughs> you can see you're like, oh, this is what they're doing. But I don't think they actually come forward and say that Lori is is her like we. Uh, it's just like a character. It's our main character in the Guilty Remnant, and we don't understand that there's any connection oh. to anyone else until about like four, three, four, four episodes in. I feel like it's the fourth or fifth episode really? of season one where it's actually revealed. Because they kind of always talk about her mom as like, I'm sorry, she's gone. I might be completely wrong. And they might even do it in the second episode or something like that. But I I have a feeling that when I watched the first two episodes when it first came out, I don't remember the reveal of Lori being the The mom. Until later? Until later. But I might be wrong. Because the show just goes so many places. Like, I can't. I'm watching the third season and I'm like... 
this is that goddamn bitch from the first season where she was fucking shit up, dressed in white, and now she's like being like super cool and like, I'm a therapist. <laughs> I know shit. And it's like also like, why would a therapist like go to do that? I get it. I get why she would because right. she's going through some serious shit. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, uh, yeah, just that discussion of when things take place in that first season. I was talking to a friend recently who had HBO at the time that The Leftovers was on. Okay. And she has seen the first season and a half of the second season. And I told her, I said, you need to watch that third season. She's like, well, I don't have HBO. And I was like, I will give you my password. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I will hook you up. You need to watch this. And I, she was like, well, how was it? I couldn't really get into the first season. And I was like, all right, well, bear with me. When I was watching that third season, I was so blown away by the scope that season two takes you on and then season three just like ups the, ups the ante even further. But when I told her that I looked back for this podcast and I was like re-going through the first season and all the things that happen, like, no, like the third season is crazy. But the first season, I, when I first watched it, I thought, you know, like the first season was a little, little lagging behind. But no, when I go back and revisit it, I'm like, no, there's so many things that happened in the first season too. Mm-hmm. Like... None of these seasons are any better or worse. They're it's different. Just different. And that's you want and the, that in and the music. I mean, you haven't you too. haven't uh, watched the Americans. No, not yet. So just That'll a, be one of my binges. A regular soon. plug about yes. the Americans. It's one of the it's one of the best shows that's on TV right now, and it's, it's done now. So very, now very I know I show. can. It's done and just it watch it. One of the greatest series finales of any show ever, which of which I would put the, the leftovers firmly in the top five series yeah. finales. Uh, I'm even very close to putting the leftovers into uh, my five favorite shows of all time because not just because of the quality and what they do and how special it is. It's 28 episodes. Yeah. There are shows that go over a hundred that pull off what this show does and these motherfuckers do it in not even a full three seasons right. of TV, which would be 13 episodes per season. These motherfuckers got 10, 10, 8. Right. And they like and these this is also a show on HBO that came up in the Game of Thrones takeover, where Game of Thrones started siphoning the budget off of all the other HBO shows, like Silicon Valley felt it, Leftovers yes. felt it. And it's like the last season, like there's a big uh, th- stink about this show that I want to clear up real quick. About the, leftovers? the leftovers did not get canceled. No, and it's said that it did oh, because no. you look at it, it's like oh, only three seasons. Last season was shorter than the others. <laughs> it was a cancellation. Yeah, they they got to the Damon Lindelof as he put it, and I think it's the best way to put it because it's kind of what I felt as well at the end of the second season, where it's they wrapped the second season and they took a look at what they were doing and they were like. It feels like all of our characters are closer to the end of a story than they are the beginning. And all the actors agreed. And they were like, if that's the case, that means we only have one season left. We have to wrap this up. Right. And they were going to do 10 episodes. HBO cut their budget again because of Game of Thrones. Not because, like, it was never getting the best viewership. But it was critically being... Hailed. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Um, And so they were like, well, if we do... Eight episodes instead of ten. We'll have more budget to be able to put into those eight. And I think they also kind of came up with the idea. It's like, what if we, instead of creating a new theme, 
uh, which was their initial intention because the right. opening of the first season is different from the second. They want to make a different one. They were like, what if we just kept, you know, the visual the same and we changed every song because the rights to changing songs, if it's not theme music and you're not using it every episode to personify what the show is, it's way less. You just have to pay for it like once. One time. And it's very cheap. One and time it's use. one of the best utilizations of music in opening themes because it every song acts as an overture i can't tell you when i heard um uh richard cheese's personal jesus opening up with that beautiful opening i was like oh this is gonna be a goddamn episode right here right and i believe the personal jesus one was the uh it was the kevin senior episode episode in australia which is a fantastic little like character bottle episode kind of thing Mm -hmm. love it i loved the opening with 1-800-SUICIDE i mean all of them were great all of them were that's the uh the nor episode with the Mm wu-tang uh tattoo and at the end it's them jumping on the trampoline to wu-tang clan right i I think i'm thinking as well i think that's also the episode that ends with laurie with uh Nora telling Lori about the scuba. She was like, well, you could commit suicide. Oh, you know what? I, I jumped all the way back to season, season two, two with the I Wu-Tang Clan. So. You're right. Yeah. That, the, that is Lori's episode is the yes. 1-800. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And yeah, they set it up and then you're like, oh, that's why they use that song. I mean, oh, there is a playlist gosh. on Spotify that is uh, magnifique that has taken every single song, whether orchestral by uh, Max uh, Richter, mm-hmm. which. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Let us. Let us, oh my goodness! That that boy that you have made, I love you. You have made <laughs> some of the most beautiful fucking themes for this goddamn thing. The departure mm-hmm. itself. I've learned how to play on the piano already. Have you really? It's great. You have no idea if you think it sounds emotional when you play. When it. you learn how to play it, and you can choose the timing between the two notes. The dun dun. Mm-hmm. You can. You have control. You're just weeping openly at it your keyboard? Is. Oh, well, it's... I, I, when I finished the first season, I finished the first season on a bender where I watched the last four episodes back to back until like six o'clock in the morning. Okay. And that's when I... And, and I was drinking heavily. Uh, just because... Nothing sad or anything. I was just like... I was loosening up. I had a really rough week. And when I say drinking heavily, I was not drinking beer. I was drinking whiskey. Sure. And so, you know, the whiskey goes away in half an hour. You need more whiskey. Listeners, I don't know if you're aware, but pretty much the entire story screen family that you listen to were were industry people. Uh And we all work at bars. Oh, yes. We all uh, are around alcoholic all the time. Mm -hmm. So carry on. We have... We have... (laughs) Uh, we fairly high <laughs> Alcohol is there. I know. I can't believe how tolerant I am to alcohol. It kind of scares me. Like, I have to be nuts. careful. Yeah. Because I'm just like, no, three drinks so I can drive and I got to keep them light. I'm not I'm not going crazy. But I get to the end of the three drinks. I'm like, dude, I could have like seven more of these and drive home. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to do that because I'm responsible. <laughs> We're um, not advocating for this. But, but I was just like. Just to give you a little bit of a feel of this conversation. <laughs> I finished the first season and it was like six o'clock in the morning. The sun was just coming up and I uh I d- we have a we have a, a, a an upright piano in our home and I just opened it up and I was like how do I play this and I looked it up real quick and I just learned it and I was playing it for like an hour and a half and then like uh like Diana woke up my girlfriend woke up and came down she's like what are you doing and I was just like I'm emoting boom, boom. <laughs> it's really good then I made myself a really good breakfast and I went to bed 
Yeah, that sounds like a perfect day, really. It was a depressing day. The show is... It's it's not a feel-good show. You don't... It's volatile. Feel... It's it's You can feel what they're... They're so good at expressing... That's an emotional workout. ...what they're doing that you, you can't help but feel it. Like, I just get right. goosebumps thinking about the show. And that's because the people making the show are really good at their job. Right. That's what you want shows to do. Yeah. That's exactly what you want. Here's a character. You don't know who they are. You know nothing about them. Here's 15 minutes of shit that, like, here they are. Here's who right. they are. And now bad stuff happens to them. Deal with like, this. Do I care about that? I've only known them 15 minutes. This show is good at making you do that. Same with Lost, which is what I think Damon Lindelof is really good at. Mm-hmm. I think he's good at finding the 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 suits in the characters that make them dressed accordingly right. to what they're doing. Like, Kevin is a... God damn it, Justin Thoreau is so good in this goddamn show. If it wasn't he for is. Carrie Coon, I'd be talking about him nonstop. non-stop. But Carrie Coon is just like on another goddamn planet with this she shit. She really is. She really she is. She blows everybody out of the water in this in this thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Scott Glenn is in the goddamn show. And he's overshadowed by like almost everybody. Yeah. Because they're so good. And That's Scott Glenn phenomenal. is one of the best... Uh, character actors working right now. Yes, absolutely. He's got his thing, and nobody can do it but him. No, yeah, that's absolutely true. No, I've said this for a long time, and I think it's why I feel so disconnected from blockbusters that are coming out now is because I've always been so much more drawn to characters and not story. Mm. I want to feel that these characters are real, and I would watch them do anything. I want to spend more time with these people no matter what their circumstances are. And The Leftovers is a show that, as you said before, like Matt Jameson, if he's off camera, he still feels real. You still know he is doing things. He's doing shit out there. And that's every character in this show. That's a great point. It's like when we're not seeing, and I think the weakest member of the Garvey family is Tom, the son. Uh, oh, they drop his ass, and they do because they, they pick him up a little bit because they should season, because they, they should, should because it's the same with Jill. Right. The third season is not really. It doesn't have to do with the children. It's not really concerned with them at right. this point. Now it's it's about Kevin and Nora and Matt and Kevin right. Senior. Like that's that's the, main the thing. story. I will say I'm very upset that the twins. Oh, I liked are the only twins in the first season because the twins are those actors are they're so good. They're Fucking joy. <laughs> like, sh- every time they're on screen. And I'm sure there was some biblical thing that I was missing with the twins, too. It's gotta be. It's gotta be. It's gotta be. I also really like uh, Jill's best friend that's oh, living with them in the first season. I love that character. See, she was a very prevalent character, so I've read, in the book. Uh-huh. And I think... Well, I'd imagine she would be, because she just disappeared after the first season. Right. They didn't know what to do with her character, and I think that's <laughs> do you, okay. Do you think... Like, that do you they think they together, actually did? That they slept together? Do you think they actually did? Because that's one of the first instances in the show where it was like, I don't know if no. I believe her. Right. Like, because she could be saying this for any number of reasons, that she slept with, I slept with your dad. dad. Right. And then, we're, and we've, before that, we've been given instances where dude's blacking out. And Kevin dreams and, of her. And, and baby and, dreams. And, and the blacked out version of Kevin uh, is a little bit of a fucking dick. Yeah. You know, he's going around killing dogs. He's kidnapping people. He's an asshole. Yeah. So it's like, it's not beyond the idea 
But like, I, I, and again, it's another thing where it's like, you can believe one or the other and there's no right and there's no wrong. Right. It's the same thing with religion. Like that's what the show is preaching. It's like, yeah, yeah, do you take think, it for, I mean, I think like, cause we're kind of getting close probably to a break right now. Right. Like, so, I think so. I think do you so. think that Kevin Jr. actually had sex with this 18 year old girl, best friend that was living with them? I think he did not. Me, uh, me as well. I you do too? not think that he did. Yeah. I think, uh, at that level, not to say that Kevin began to lack integrity later on. I just think he had, he has a level of integrity, even though he might not think that he does. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he would have crossed that line. I think it's, it's that. And And I also also think Amy's almost too immature to pursue that. I think she tries to appear bad and advanced, but she's really just a kid. Yeah. She's the like American beauty kind of thing where it's just like, you present that idea to seem powerful and popular and but even from Kevin's point of view, I think that it's a very big deal in the show that when he starts courting Nora yes. and or they start courting each other, mm-hmm. um, I think that his uh, almost like inept, like almost like desexualization since the departure and since Laurie going over there, like he's because of what happened in the sudden departure and he was cheating on his wife when it happened and the person he was cheating on her with departed, departed I feel like he's got like this kind of mental block mm-hmm. sexually. And I think that he's, his visions are focusing that on this obvious like girl that's the same age as his daughter while he's trying to reconcile the relationship that he has with his daughter. Here he is presented with this human being he's allowed to have sex with i guess like you know right. he, he can't have sex with his, his he can't have sex with his, uh, his daughter right and it, it's like this mirror image of his daughter and like as the daughter is being pushed away it almost seems as if her friend is becoming closer right because her friend is trying to you know from her friend's point of view it's like your daughter is losing her fucking mind and uh you're not paying attention and she doesn't want to talk to you, so I'm trying to help both of you out. Right. And she's actually being a really good person, but I think so too. she's also kind of like, you know, uh, n- not in a derogatory way, but she, like she's she's a biatch, you know, yeah. like she like that's her that's her thing. Like she's yeah. at school and she's just like fuck you and and I don't care about grades. We just get to graduate this year because like 128 million people just left three years ago. Yeah. So she's like that. And I think that it's a really great character that's heavily underutilized in the final seasons. But it's also like in the second season, you can introduce all these new characters. It would have been too heavy. There's no reason for her to be there. Uh, it makes sense that they would leave. Um, What's the name of the town? Mapleton. Mapleton. I almost said Marlboro. <laughs> it's, it's, well, upstate New York. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah I is. think a lot of this was filmed in Westchester and Nyack. Yeah. And the first season. The yeah. first season, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, it's clearly Mapleton. But the, the book is written in Ohio. It's a small town in Ohio. It makes it's sense. A, it's neither here nor there. Upstate New York, it Ohio. It makes sense. <laughs> very similar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with you. I think there are a lot of characters in that first season, Mapleton Stables, as you will, mm-hmm. who, uh, yeah, don't really have a place in the second and third season, but definitely, definitely have a place. It's not like they're forgotten. They are just missed. Right. Yeah, I think that this show does a phenomenal job of making you feel like they didn't write characters out because of writing inconsistencies or 
lack of vision. They write it in a very natural way. And I think as you grow up and you grow out of your hometown or you move to new places, sometimes people fade by the wayside, people that you thought you would be lifelong friends with. And that just happens. And Mm -hmm. I think that the show presents itself in such a lifelike manner that it's completely believable. And it's, I don't think a, like a blight on the show, I think. No, no, they handle no. it very well. Yeah, it's more just my my personal like want. My like yeah. I really like that actress. I, I really agree. like that I character. Agree. And when she didn't show up and I was just like, Yeah, it makes sense. Like, yeah, the the show's becoming something else, which mm-hmm. is what the best shows like I was saying with the Americans. Yes. The best shows can evolve uh, evolve season to season and become like different things. And it's yes. like, you know, the Americans in its six season span, like sometimes it's like this action-y spy thriller, and sometimes it's this family drama, and sometimes it's insane action-y uh, spy thriller. And right. it, it's able to bounce back and forth between like what it wants to be and what it wants to communicate. And that is that is proof of a show where the creators are not hell-bent on like trying to appease like what's who the audience they're going like no we have a set goal of what we want to do so the first season's about this the second season's about this and the third season's about this and the end finn yes absolutely i think uh a show will really flounder if they are stuck in one setting or stuck in one state of mind essentially Mm -hmm. if they're trying to strike lightning twice and repeat the first season that was a hit they're going to fail. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to grow. You have yeah. to be comfortable with the ambiguity yeah. of new, different horizons that you didn't anticipate when you were writing the pilot. Yeah. And it's that's a, okay. like Lost is set on an island pretty much, but like by the third season, spoilers for Lost, real quick, like they yeah. realized they were like, well, we're going to have to start doing something else here. And they were right. like, well, what if we introduce the idea that they got off? And it's a complete, total flash forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, this show is like, well, they're in this like small town. They got to deal with all this small town drama nonsense. Well, what if we brought them to a place that was like the epitome of what good can be in this place where it's a place where nothing happened. It's a miracle. It's a perfect place. And when they get there, there's some Fahrenheit 451 shit going on. Oh, yeah. You know, and yeah. uh, we get introduced to like you know, essentially like an alternate version of the Garveys. But yeah. like, we can talk about this in the second half. Like, we're starting to break into the second season and everything and that yet. Absolutely. So yeah, listeners, bear with us. We, the two of us could talk, gosh, like we could talk your ears off for a good like five hours. I think hours we're good. We got an hour here. But we'll do an hour on the second half. Yeah. And for three seasons of TV. Yeah. 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 Well, definitely uh, when you come back and listen to the second half, we'll be talking about season two and season three and also our favorite episodes. And Character beats that are still with us at this very moment, lingering in our dreams. Moments that we can't get out of our heads. Mm, Tom in the swimming pool. <laughs> it's a good scene. I know it's like early on. It's like very, but he's oh, just like, it's good. Yeah, it's good. It is. Well, thank you so much. We'll be uh, right back.
Hey guys, Mike Burge popping in here again real quick to let you guys know about all the really awesome new stuff that we've got going on uh, as far as social media and the interwebs is concerned with StoryScreen. Uh, as always, of course, StoryScreenBeacon.com is still continuing to churn out articles and reviews on a more weekly basis. And of course, we are also usually uploading anywhere between two and three podcasts a week because we're awesome. But you can also check us out over on Vimeo, where under Story Screen Beacon, which is our uh, label over there, our handle, so to speak, uh, we have all the teasers that we've ever created um, for all of the trailer reels before different screenings that we've done. We also have our uh, best of 2017 list compilation video, which is a lot of fun. Uh, we've mentioned this on previous podcasts before, but we really want to push for people to get over there because if we can start generating some clicks, we can start uh, making some more videos and uh, start really pumping in some time in there. Uh, we have an idea to start doing um, video uh, commentary and video uh, reviews and analyses and uh, we really want to start generating that and we want to see if maybe some of our podcast listeners would uh, be interested in kind of jumping over and every now and then having maybe like a little short seven to ten minute video uh, kind of going over different things that we might have talked about in previous podcast episodes, but going in there a little bit more in depth and also with some uh, fun visual guides. So uh, hit us up in any comments, whether it's on uh, Instagram or Twitter uh, which you can find all those handles on our website, storyscreenbeacon.com. Uh, communicate with us. Let us know exactly uh, what we can do that would be exciting for you guys uh, in a different way. Um, except for uh, we will always do tangents. That's just um, that's our thing. We're going to do that. Okay, back to the show. Welcome back to the second half of our Cathode Raycast episode discussing The Leftovers. I love this show. <laughs> That's just going to be the rest of this podcast. I just really saying, like it. I love it too. It's so good. It? I love it. Do you want to like talk about how much we love it or do you want to talk about the show itself? Do you want to go watch it again? I do. Let's just talk about it a little bit. We'll talk bit. about the actual show and not just... Why it's How like one of the most perfect goddamn things ever fucking made. We'll, we'll restrain ourselves. Oh my goodness. So I think, I mean, multiple instances in that first season out of the three made me realize just what a treasure it was. But the opening of that second season, it opens up with a, essentially a cave woman being separated from the rest of her oh, family yes. while she is pregnant. Because there is a landslide of rocks that covers up the cave. She has lost all of her family. Very similar to The Departed. The sudden departure, which we see in season one. taken away in an act of God, so to speak. So to speak. And we see her struggling with uh, giving birth and then raising her very small infant in the wild, alone. And then she is taken out by a snake while she is trying to defend her child. And she perseveres for a couple more days and has to pass away. And the baby is left. And another woman comes and takes that baby. And this is all the very beginning cold open of season two. And then you get a completely new theme song. A completely new 
theme sequence for what you are watching, no longer do you see the roof of or ceiling of the cathedral. Bum. And you get this very like folksy song by Iris Dement. Mm-hmm. And everybody is wondering where and where, when and where they all come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's it's good. such a good song. Perfect. I've been on an Iris Dement kick since this show and have found other musicians through Iris Dement that I also love. But yeah, so you see this and then all of a sudden you're following this other family in a completely different setting in Texas. Before we move on to that, sure. if, I, if I may tangently very quickly say, I love in the, uh, the Iris Dement song where when she's like, uh, I love that, that, that kind of like twang that some people put into certain words. And it's when she goes like, no, no, where it goes. That's a bad impersonation, but that's what she's doing. <laughs> it's just like, it, it gets me. Yeah. And it, it's, it's very grassroots. It's very like down to earth, old timey, like thinking about stuff. Mm-hmm. Now knows just where it goes. And no one knows for certain. So, so it's all yeah, the same, same to me. I think I'll just let the mystery be. Like, that's, it's perfect for the second season because every episode, as the second season goes on, as we're going to discuss, it mm-hmm. becomes more and more intense and, and what the fuck's going on and what do I believe? And every episode just starts out with this very... You know, not poppy in the sense of like music poppy, but just very like kind of upbeat and happy. Yeah. And so it always, it, 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 the leftovers is a show that can make you laugh six times and cry three times mm-hmm. in one episode mm-hmm. without it feeling forced or, um, like, uh, without, like, like, there's no cliche-ness to, no what they're trying to make you feel. They're not, they're not, it never feels like they're trying to make you cry. It's they're presenting you with a situation and you're just like, oh, it happens oh, to make fuck. you cry. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think that first season, it's so dense and harrowing and you're depressing, dealing, depressing. And you're dealing with a town who has dealt with all of the aftermath of the sudden departure because a lot of people were left in this small town of Mapleton, New York. And then you get the second season and it opens up in Jarden, Texas, Jarden Miracle, Texas, where no one was departed. Mm -hmm. And the town has actually flourished and prospered because people come as tourists to this town to receive water from the, the reservoir and readings from a psychic who can tell you what they see in the future for you yeah it's like the opposite it's like a tourist destination that's the opposite of something like Auschwitz or something like that right it's like it's this place of absolute something about this place and people are like selling the water and 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 like talking about and then the second season also brings into the idea the re the very reason in the second episode that we find out why the Garveys and Nora move there is because Nora, it's revealed to her by some scientists that they believe that geography may come into play as to who was taken in from where. And so right. if you have a place where no one was taken from, obviously that needs to be the spot to, to be go. in case there is a... Um, Second sudden departure. What's the word that they use? 
they it's not is it resurgence or oh like they use a word like in case there is like a repeat of this right right I can't remember the specific word but the way the actor who's in this only this one scene like the way he says that word to Nora who we know as like a very like she doesn't believe in this in the sense of this is something holy or religious. Like she's just like, this was like a very bad thing that happened to me. And that's in the first season when she goes and she actually meets up with, um, Holy Wayne. Yes. And she has that scene where it's like the most devastating goddamn thing where she finally gives into the idea that maybe if I hug this man, I will feel better Mm -hmm. and, and it will work. And, 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 and before she hugs him, she says, it's like she's crying and she says, will I forget them? Right. And he says, never. No. Like never. Never. And that's, it's just, it, her character is just as important as Kevin's character. And I, I won't hi, uh, go into hyperbole and say that she's more important because Kevin is the main character of the show. He's, he's on all the covers. Uh, Nora isn't on all the covers until the second season. Because I don't think that they actually expected Nora's character to... I don't think they knew what they had in Carrie Coon. Right. Uh, Or the character for Nora. Right. And then they eventually move on into the second season. They go, oh, Carrie Coon is a fantastic actress. She's the best actor on the show. Yes. Yes. Hands down, yes. right? Like that's and that's with Scott Glenn and right and Dowd and so many yeah. good people like Ann Dowd and, on the show. Like I knew Ann Dowd from Handmaid's Tale, right? I going be- into this show, I cannot believe that Handmaid's Tale was the one that put her on the map, and this one didn't. Right, and I'm watching Phenomenal. this show, and like for the first three episodes, I'm like Ann Dowd is playing a character that doesn't speak. Well, that's not gonna last because <laughs> that's her whole thing. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, well, if Ann Dowd doesn't speak in this for the most part because she's a character that's in the guilty remnant and they don't speak i was like well then maybe that's why she didn't get recognition for this because how she can just like make every fucking word sound like just garlic being sliced by a razor blade just like mm, to do a good goodfellas reference uh was like astounding to me and like obviously she starts talking and then she becomes the internal monologue of uh kevin's character of his of his shadow yes. so to speak yes his, but yes his season character. two yeah yeah season two <laughs> yeah it just opens up with such uh optimistic point of view mm-hmm. with like a bunch whole of carrots new, and whole new family beans. yeah just whole new family and i will say once i started watching it i'm pretty handy with the remote and i had to like sit back and i'm like did i click on the wrong thing right is this the same show Mm -hmm. and that is the power of this show because you are not allowed to expect anything Mm -hmm. and yeah starting the second season with yeah you have uh john and erica and evie and michael this new family and this new setting discovering what makes them tick and what a completely different section of the United States has had to deal with because of this sudden departure. I think the first season, it just feels so condensed uh, with what you're getting for how people have interacted with this catastrophe. 
and then to come to another place. And it just, that is how you build a world. Right. And build a world successfully. And uh, representatively, stepping off course from the show itself for a second, uh, the, the episode is, the, the, the first season is very um, white. It is. It is. We it's have uh, the mayor of the town is uh, a black woman Correct. who is dating uh, Kevin Senior. Yeah. Yes. Court, courting him. Yes. And then they're dating. They're, like they're she dating. goes there like a couple times a and week, and like she ends up breaking it off with him. Right. For obvious psychotic reasons. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and so I really like the idea of uh, introducing a new family, and it is a black family, and it it, it isn't a. If I can get on my, you know, representation soapbox for a second. Sure. It isn't a black family that is defined by um, black aesthetic as far as uh, white people would consider it to be. I mean, let's be honest here. The Leftovers, the first season, it's a very white people show. Yes, it is. Um, it's dealing with uh, just mainly, like the, besides the mayor, I can't mm. think of another black character in the first season. No, I think there are a few black members of the Guilty Remnant, but they're never of course. at the forefront. Yeah, yeah, in the extras, they're, in the yeah, background, but no one who's a main character who has lines of dialogue right. more than like three per episode. Um, right. So really cool for them to do that. Uh, yes. And because it's not based on the book and that they're just coming up with that, I think that it is a healthy version of forced representation where they're like, we didn't mm-hmm. have any black actors in the first season and that's fucked up. So this new family that we're introducing, why not make it a black family? Right. And we're, I, I also like, I love the idea that the leftover season one, two, and three, the story is focused around not a group of people that have survived that we're following. It's all based around this one family mm-hmm. and the family doesn't become obvious until you know pretty much all the way towards the end like right there's no uh familial connection between the garveys and uh what's the family's name from uh season two oh john and erica and michael and evie yeah what's their last names oh blanken i can't remember i also Um, cannot remember but like there's no connection between them but then in the third season we find that um the the husband in that uh uh, John marries Laura, Laurie. and now he the mother is for the Garvey family. he is stepfathered in, right? And um, everything that happens down in Australia before our characters get there, Scott Glenn is down there as Kevin Senior, and we're following him as a family member. And Nora and uh, Matt are disconnected up until the second season, when we realize Nora is going to marry Kevin and become a part of the Garvey. So they're all connected to the Garvey family. And we start to see that this is a show that's all, even Liv Tyler is remotely yes. connected to the Garvey family through she was, which never comes up. She was about to marry the dude that Lori was dating when she got pregnant with Tom. No. Yes. No, those are two different dudes. No. Yes, they are. Yes. What? Yes. They never come back to it. It's in the first season and the first season alone. When when um Kevin looks at the picture of Lori and Tom when he was a kid and unfolds it and it's the dude that's that a was gonna dude. No. Yes, it no, is. it isn't. It's, it's the a same. different dude. That's why the scene between Kevin and that guy when he's like, Go find station. my wife, 
it's like, why is this so tense? Like, do these guys know each other? And it's because this is the dude that used to date his wife, who's now gone off to the guilty remnant, and he's trying to start his life back up. And this is the guy that got her pregnant. That's Tom's. That's why Tom was able to go to uh, that guy's house in the flashback is okay. because he lives in the town. Oh, I'm telling you, this is, yes, this You're is a thing. You're saying that that was Meg's fiance? Yes. Ooh, I'm looking this up right now. You keep talking about the, the intricacies of family. Oh, absolutely. No, no, go for it. Yeah, it's, I, I'm looking They it drop right it now. after the first season because obviously, you know, they, they start kind of going different ways with it. But like, that's totally what that is. I'm not sure if that would even be easy to search for me. I don't even really know his name. Um, or... I mean, I guess you could like look him like he he looks like a really scraggly motherfucker. He does when he's engaged to Meg, but the guy who's Tom's father is All a right, different you, dude. You search this and 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 prove me right, and I'll I'll, I'll talk because <laughs> well, I really hope I'm not wrong because that's like I loved it about the show. <laughs> we will definitely get back to this at the end. We'll look it up in a break and then we'll come in and we'll add it later on for you listeners because mm-hmm. we're going to settle a bet. We have a couple bets running, Burge and I, and we haven't classified if one of us is the winner from the other bet. And I What was the other bet? It was, uh, it was about a line of dialogue in a certain movie and that'll come up later too. I can't remember. Oh, are you talking about Baby Driver? Yeah, yeah, when yeah. When yeah. he says like, you know, I don't like stealing candy from baby and you think it's from a, a baby. baby. Which you just uh, wrong. So, okay. I have it on Blu-ray now, though, so I'll check it when I go home tonight and we cool, can figure it out. Cool. So, yeah, listeners, maybe this will be like a nice little, like, special little treat for you guys. We'll answer it on another podcast at a later date. But I'm very excited to talk about it. It's the same dude, man. Well, that makes it even more fucked up in season two when Meg rapes Tom. Yes, it does. And you're telling me that that is her ex-fiance's son. Yes. Ooh. All right. Well, we'll look it Give up. Give me another reason why they would do that. Oh, I always just anticipated it as completely warfare underst- on Lori. Completely understand that point of view. I'm saying like everything in the leftovers has a little extra, extra. sauce on the side mm. because you like to dip the garlic bread in it. I always looked at Tom's father as some, like, ginger dude who just was with Lori for no, a while. We see a picture of him. And then I feel him. like the Scandinavian dude that Meg was engaged to is a different dude. He was, like, foreign That's him, or something. Yeah. That's him. That's well, why when, when he's, like, where, like, he comes into... We won't say we won't stay on it for too long. No. That's that's why when he in the first season he comes into Kevin's office because Kevin is the sheriff. He's that's like the fiance. The, the guilty remnant has kidnapped my wife. You have to go get her. And think- he's talking to a guy whose wife is in the guilty remnant, and they are so that there is a there is like they they are ticking at each other, and and he's he's completely impatient with Kevin's lack of action he's like oh we can't just do anything he's like what do you mean you can't do anything like you of all people should be doing something about them Mm. like he says something like that and he's just like well what do you like we're not exactly he says like kevin says something along the lines of like well we're not exactly like the best the perfect versions of people are we he says something like that and that's what makes the guy stand up and he's like well if you're not going to do anything i will and he walks out but he never does anything because he's a He's a he's an abandoner. He's a hmm. he's a piece of shit. He's not going to follow down on what he says or what he claims. 
No, I read that scene as when Kevin finds out that Meg is in the guilty remnant because he goes to see Lori, mm-hmm. but he ends up talking to Meg and he says, I can help get you out. And Meg doesn't seem to have any interest in that because obviously she's being brainwashed by the guilty remnant. Of course. And then chopping he, down a tree. Yes. Which stands with for the, the tree axe. of life. With a tiny Which tiny is the connection axe. to God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and also a meaningless task as well. Metaphor and literal. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Ooh, what is that? That is our uh, siren that gets tested every once in a while. It's, it's at five o'clock every day. It's your siren? Well, it's the firehouse, which is right down at the circle, uh-huh. which is just like a little bit away. When we bought the house, we were not told by a realtor that this siren goes off. Ah. Uh, <laughs> no. Very nice. It sounds, it's very soothing. I don't mind it. I did mind it when we were living here for two weeks and then Easter hit and it went off at like four in the morning and freaked me out. Kind of almost seems like something bad's about to happen. Oh, oh, Bernadette, where'd you go? <laughs> Bernadette, where are you? No, you can't laugh because then they, they know. It's ruined. It's ruined. I ruined we should have planned a bit to do that where it's like one person disappears for a little bit. Your headphones just drop. I mean, I guess you could pretend that that's what happens like when I go on eight minute tangents talking about the I'm Americans. Gone. She's gone. She's I'm not gone. there. <laughs> I She's the 2%. Uh, but no, uh, I read that scene as he was getting in touch with Meg's fiance to get him to come in and be like, dude, don't you have any concerns about where your ex-fiance is? I hmm. found her. She's in the guilty totally remnant. That. Yep. And he kind of gives up on her. The fiance gives up on Meg at that point. He was like, she had other issues. The fiance gives up on her just yeah. as he gave up on mm, previous. So and here's another true. big one. I think it's the first or second episode when Lori and um, who is that sweet, sweet woman who is uh, Lori's partner in the first season? Who is Gladys. the one that's Gladys? Oh, Gladys. Mm. oh, I love that they keep bringing her back too. The actress. There is a reason why when they are given Liv Tyler's, Meg's character profile to mm-hmm. uh, stalk, so to speak. Sure. Um, that Lori looks at it and Gladys like writes down like, she's pretty. And yeah. Lori has that look where she's like, yeah. Because Lori knows that this is the woman that is dating her ex-boyfriend. See, that would give a little context in that scene for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to look this up. But yeah, I'm telling you, man, if it's not true, it should have been that <laughs> because it makes it better. Like, that's it. Yeah, that's true. Like, what's the point of having just like a throwaway character that never comes back unless they're actually connected? Like, and, and again, it goes into my familial connection where it's like every main character in the show is connected familially with this, someone else with the with the Garveys. Yeah, I, I'm going to hate to be the one who crushes that later on. Well, you're not. <laughs> we'll see. But you yeah. know I hate taking candy from a baby. Mm. Uh, so yeah, when I was writing my notes for the recaps, just to refresh my memory, for mm-hmm. the episode called Gladys, it's episode five oh, of season God. one, I wrote no notes needed on the side. Because I oh, was yeah. like, I knew exactly what happened in this episode. That is a... The stoning in that and the the, the, the prosthetic reveal. works that they use mm. and like the... It... That's what it looks like when that happens to somebody. Like, it has to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we hear Gladys, like, speak for the first time. Stop. Don't. Stop. Please don't. Please don't. Yeah. It is, uh, mm, 
And then she's like the uh, secretary assistant to the would-be president in in Kevin's crazy version, which we haven't even really got onto yet. But we'll we'll continue. Yeah. We'll continue season two, and we'll we'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. Don't let me sidetrack this because I will <laughs> I will just start talking about the dumbest stuff. So let like let's. It happens, and it it will continue to happen. Uh, yeah, with with Meg. I definitely, like, Liv Tyler is a phenomenal actress, and when they're building up her character in that first season, and then to see that when Lori leaves uh, the Guilty Remnant, and when Patty commits suicide, and that brutal scene where Kevin and Kevin's friend slash possible hallucination slash general crazy man Dean. Which we find out is not a hallucination. No, he's a real person. In the... Beginning of the third season, right? Yeah. It's, that's when it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like a really long payoff, and that's to find a big out one that... too. Because it's like I wasn't even sure. No, I wasn't sure either. Because it's like his daughter talks to him at one point, mm-hmm. but you've also been led to believe after that point that sometimes Kevin um, fakes people that he knows, right? In situations, and you're like, wait, what? Right. Because, like, you don't know if it's a dream or anything like that. I mean, I love that reveal in the first season where it's like, no, he's real. Because Jill, like, walks up and he's like, who's this guy? And he's like, you can you can see him? God damn it. We haven't even broken into the male ego thing yet, too. No. Oh, my God. Okay, keep going. <laughs> but, but, yeah, when uh, Kevin and Dean kidnap Patty. Well, Kevin kidnaps Patty. And then Dean helps. And they take her to a cabin in the woods. And... They were beating her, and they decided that they were going to let her go, and Kevin tries to make a plea with her, saying, like, I'll leave the guilty remnant alone. If you don't make mention that I've kidnapped you and beat you, and Patty says, no, that's not good enough. That's not good enough for me. I'll talk. Patty, I'll, Patty's I'll a, tell. Patty's a stone-cold motherfucker. Yeah, she is. And then when she says to Kevin... Kevin, you understand. And then slits her own throat. That's when Meg becomes a much bigger player in season two. Right. Because she is essentially the guilty remnant for Mapleton well, at yeah, that point. Like dropping Patty and Lori out of the guilty remnant. Now you're left with, well, really, we only have one main character left in the guilty remnant. And right. it's... And it's Meg. Teen heartthrob Liv Tyler. <laughs> Empire Records. Who also... Did not know who her father was until she was a teenager mm-hmm. and went to an Aerosmith show. So can you imagine how much that played in to her understanding of her own character? It's a very interesting backstory to the actress. Yeah. Uh, Meg's mom, do you think oh, that she yeah. died from a heart attack or do you think that she died from walnut allergy? Oh. Because the scene opens where the salad is brought and she goes, oh, I asked for no walnuts. Yes. And they take it back. Mm-hmm. And it. this is just me coming from, you know, uh, Diana is uh, allergic to nuts. And so we're very careful about what we eat when we go out. And like, oh, no, please don't. And me having worked in kitchens before, I know that some uh, ship bag kitchens, if a salad is sent back and they're like, oh, they said no walnuts, they, they will take the brush out. the walnuts off and then bring it back. And then I feel, and Meg gets up to go do some more of that sweet white line cocaine in yeah, the bathroom, she does. and uh, comes back, and her mother is on the ground, and somebody's performing CPR. And I've seen every everything calls it a heart attack. 
Mm-hmm. Her mother had a heart attack the day before October 14th, before the sudden departure. Do you think well, there were some walnuts still on that? Still on that sweet little salad, and it sent her into shock. It, mm. it doesn't work that fast, so probably not. She probably just had a heart attack. To be honest, I had not considered any other thing than what I was presented. The heart which attack. Is, yeah, which is... She's just a, on the ground and she's dead. Yeah. Which is a rare occurrence for this show. Mm-hmm. I've, like, contemplated almost every other action except for how Meg's mom dies. I don't know. I think that was more my personalized version coming sure. in where I'm just like, nuts are bad. And it was like, oh, I asked this for no walnuts. She's like, she said that because she's allergic. Right. And then I was like, oh, is that what's going to happen? And it's because uh, Meg wasn't there. Because she was like, I got to go do some more of that, some more of that nose music. To deal with you. To, yeah. and, and she wasn't there to be able to be like, oh, the salad. Like, oh, th- is that the same salad or something like that? I didn't sure, know. Yeah. Sure. I mean, that would definitely add to Meg's level of guilt that she has. About her mom passing away. Because granted, Meg separates herself from her mother because her mother is extremely overbearing. Mm-hmm. But I can see that adding, yeah, another there, dimension to There's her a love in there the overbearingness. Like, you can see that the that Meg's kind of being an asshole yeah. in misinterpreting her mother's love as overbearingness. Right. Her mother just wants to be a part of her life and her mother wants to help her and make sure she's making the right decisions. Right. Whereas Meg's like, oh, you're overbearing. Like, get off my back, mom. Right. And it's then all of a sudden she's taken away. Mm-hmm. And Meg is left to be like, oh, was I kind of being a dick about that? And then ever since that, too, she gets put on top of that, people telling her, like, oh, you didn't get to properly grieve your mother because this tragic event, the sudden departure, happened the day after, mm-hmm. where all of these other people left their, like, lost family members in a completely unexpected and unexplainable way. At least you have an explainable reason as to why a your mom A very interesting uh, plot to put in, where it's like, right. well, people die every day, so somebody had to die that day. That day that would, like, take everybody to be like, oh, you died? Oh, oh, yeah, but also, like, the next day, oh, my goodness. Yeah. People didn't die. They were gone. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. Which is one of the best lines in the show. When Nora says, my family isn't dead. They're, They're gone. just gone. Well, uh, even beyond that, uh, 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 Kevin and Lori. Yeah. When Kevin says, it's like, do you really think they're gone? And Lori says, we're all gone. We're all gone at this point. It's all, it's all done. Like, Which speaks to the, the series finale, and we'll get into that. that Lori, doesn't, Lori doesn't get enough love, as far oh, as I Lori, know, so I, I think. like Again, I haven't talked with a lot of people about this, but I've read some articles and like dived into some analyses mm-hmm. of the show to kind of be like, am I reading too much into this on a personal level? Because, again, like the show really affected me personally it, it really I agree. Uh, as a as a very non-religious person who is also very open mind attempts to be open-minded the show is very much like well if you believe in one thing then what you believe in has no has isn't really that much different than what other people believe in whether it be religious or just because what you believe is so grounded for you, it doesn't mean that what other people believe, however, like, 
out there, it might seem, it, it, it doesn't negate the fact that that's also what they believe and they that's have. what brings them comfort. And that's what the show is about. And, you know, I'm, I'm a person that, you know, I, I've had a lot of loss in my life and I've, I've tried to reconcile with the idea of losing things and, and having things that you can't control when I'm a very big kind of control freak when it comes to things that I think that I'm entitled to control. And I keep that under wraps. Like I can't control human beings. So I'm never going to do that. But I do think that if I'm involved in something that I have a say in, it's like, well, I can control where this goes. And there's a control freakiness to that, Mm -hmm. that I have. And this show really presented to me for the first time this, it really communicated the idea that religion is not necessarily a mantra or a way of life. It's more a way of showing proof of meaning. Right. You know, and I, I, I think The Leftovers isn't so much about religion or questions or answers, which it very much is about. I think at the end of the day and the final 10 minutes of the show solidifies for me what I think the show is about. Right. Which is... uh what is the meaning of life if we are presented with the idea that life is meaningless? We are shown that life, it's possible that life has no meaning. So after that, what would you present as what is the meaning of life now afterwards? And they answer that in two words as the final as the final uh, uh, line of the show, which is Nora says, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And that's the meaning of life in a otherwise meaningless world is, well, I'm here. So everything else doesn't really matter. I'm right. here. So like that's, that's meaning enough. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I really jumped ahead there. I'm okay. so sorry. That's okay. And we'll get into like the, <laughs> The implications and intricacies of that final episode, for sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I completely agree with you. I'd like to believe that there is some kind of afterlife. I will say I strive to be a good person, but I strive to be a good person because that makes me feel good, not because there is an afterworld reward at the end of it. And if that world exists, then great. But if it doesn't... Double win. Double win. Double win. But if it doesn't, I'm not... I can't say that it exists. I'm a bad bad Catholic. One win. One win's fine. Because Catholics say they profess in their uh, doctrine. They profess that they believe in the afterlife and that there will be a second coming and the rising of the dead and what have you to this ideal heaven and i think that idea is very beautiful and it will be very cool if it exists it can be very cool but can i believe that it actually exists until i'm there no like i'm given what i know and what i know is now what i know is here and that compels me to be a good person because it feels good to be good it feels bad when i act poorly when i take out anger on someone when i am judgy when I slight someone, even though I might not intend to, those feelings feel bad in me. And maybe it's because I was raised Catholic and religious, 
and I have that level of Catholic guilt, and I'm sure that plays into it. But no, it feels good to be a good person, and I think that this show especially speaks to my belief that, yeah, believe what you have here with the people that love you and matter to you. And if there is another thing, and we'll get into this, yeah, do you have to believe that this other thing is true? Yes. Is that important? Or is the person important? And, yes. Yeah. And I think that that is the beauty of the it's show. A, it's, it's an extension of the idea of selfish and selfless, mm-hmm. of, of what belief is to you yourself and what it matters to how you interact with the world, mm-hmm. which is a insanely existential philosophical idea for a show to really wrap itself around because it's not revealed that that's what the show's about until well into the third season. But looking back, you can be like, oh, that's what all this has been about. And you can have that idea where it's like, you know, you get deep into uh, the first season, you can kind of go, everything here kind of has like two different meanings, which is always like, that's the best way to watch movies. And I always tell people, it's like, when you watch a movie, really have fun with it. But also at the same time, consider in the back of your brain, and it's not something that you can do straight away. It's a muscle that you have to work out so that you're not missing out on shit. Where like, whereas like you're thinking about a line of dialogue while eight lines of dialogues are happening and you're not paying attention to them. It's like, think of everything again, like literally and metaphorically, you know, when somebody says, I have a bomb and I'm going to do this. When they say they have a bomb, they're going to do this. The literal is right there for you. It's been explained to you. It's been expositioned. That's what's going on. Yes. But then also think in regards to like everything that's come before and then everything else I'm about to get. What does this mean metaphorically that this specific character has this type of specific bomb and is specifically going to do this with it? And that's where you start getting into like the meat of what makes good art in cinema good. Right. Where it's a really fun literal story, but metaphorically and um, as far as like uh, analogies and allegories and fun stuff, right. fun English 102 words like that. What does it mean beyond that? And that's what makes a great film because it's a film that's really fun to watch. Like The Thing literally is just like a lot of fun to watch because it's scary. It's suspenseful, but it's also talking about. Cold what war, makes you Cold you? War shit, communism yeah. stuff. What makes you you? Yeah, like what is an individual? What does it mean to be human? Like it, it, right. it's dealing with this shit. That's another thing that made us all fall in love with Blade Runner 2049 last year. Is yes. like this is a movie that is like pew, 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 fun, but also is just like, yo. How do you know who you are? Human identity. What? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to go on this tangent for very long, but let me go on a tangent. Yeah, you're I'm- a lot. You are more <laughs> than allowed to go on a tangent. I recently saw, and I've seen a couple of interviews for this film. Ethan Hawke's new film, First Performed. Oh, I can't wait to see that. It's one of my top five most. I can't wait to see it this year. Yeah, I also like was heavily anticipating this film, and I saw him do an interview, and that's a whole other thing. We should do some kind of podcast on that movie alone. But I've already seen it, so I don't know if I can do a hot take. What movie? First Reformed. Oh, you have seen First yeah, Reformed? I saw it. Oh, you little saucy minx. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. I didn't it. know that. <laughs> I saw it at Downing Film Center on Is Tuesday. Is it good? Yeah. Oh, good. But I saw Ethan Hawke do an interview on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, 
And he said such a beautiful thing. He always says he's a beautiful human being. Uh, But anyway, he said an amazing thing to Colbert during that interview where he said, the movie doesn't start until you leave the theater. And he was like, if a movie does its job, it's going to ring a bell. And that bell is going to ring at the very end of the film. And that's when the bell resonates in your head, when the sound reaches your ears. And the work that that movie does afterwards is the, the movie itself. I was just like, oh my gosh. So good. A. I want to marry him. B, that's what The Leftovers does. Like, the ending bell is, granted, you've already loved everything leading up to that final resonation. And then that is what compels you to think about it for what i mean for you and i both it's been like weeks almost a month it's going to be months it's going to be years for the rest of our lives i'll, I'll watch this show for the rest of done. my life like this is like right i can throw on a random episode of lost or you know like my favorite shows of all time what i consider to be like my favorite shows of all time not the greatest shows of mm-hmm. all time which mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with TV, they those tend to kind of be one and the same, where it's right. like, if I'm going to give something like my top five favorite, like it's going to be something like The Wire or The Americans or mm-hmm. Lost, The Leftovers. Like I'm going to these shows that really connected with me personally. Right. I'm going to go, oh, it does that for everybody. And that's why I like it so much. It's like I can completely understand some people watching a show like The Wire or The Americans and not necessarily not getting it, mm-hmm. but just not having the same emotional, the personal emotional stakes involved in it where it just like hit me so well. I can see that. With The Leftovers, if if you got a pulse, it's hitting you. Right. And it's because of the music mm-hmm. and it's because of the acting and the characters, the cinematography is just like, it's a masterclass in how to create mood and tone yes. in a show. It's, and it's every episode. It's not like they just, yeah. they pull it out of their hat every now and then where it's like, look how fucking awesome we are. Every episode, regardless of how invested you are in the certain character that it's dealing with, is just a masterclass in how you communicate and invoke emotion and mood and tone to an audience from a third party, which is the writers, the directors, the cinematographers, the actors, everything coming together in a symphony of absolute beauty and communicating directly an idea. And to have that idea fully be this gigantic philosophical existential thing and stick the landing is just like standing ovation worthy. Oh, absolutely. The last 10 minutes of this goddamn show is just, and again, we'll get to it in a little bit, but the last 10 minutes of the show is just like my jaw is like on the ground. Like my jaw's got to start paying rent yeah. in that, in, on that ground, which I already pay rent for the whole house. So it <laughs> doesn't matter where my jaw is. My jaw is not. My jaw doesn't have a social security number. It's not paying rent anymore. Right. But like, you get what I'm you get what I'm saying. I get yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah no. Well, uh, I, I stretched that one out, didn't I? <laughs> no, listeners, uh, I've just recently adopted a dog with my husband, and I am glad that I finished the show before I got the dog, because after I finished this series finale, I was just like 
locked on the couch for like a good half an hour. Just like beside myself with mm-hmm. emotion. You need a thing that you can hug that can't tweet about it afterwards. That's true. That's yeah. true. But I was glad that I didn't have to get up and let a dog out. You know, <laughs> I was like, I'm glad that I can just like exist here and not mm-hmm. have to worry about anything else in my life except for the fact that I just saw the last episode of the show. Because <laughs> it was just like, I can't do anything. I'm mm-hmm. just uh, stuck here. I've become one with this couch <laughs> and this last episode of this show. <laughs> And I just had to, like, deal with it for a moment. But uh, to get back to season two. Uh, oh, is that what we were talking about? Uh, roughly. Roughly. Gotcha. Yeah. Just a little bit. Uh, this is going to be a three-parter already. I can already <laughs> fucking see it. Yeah. Oh, possibly. I didn't realize we were this far in. Yeah, no. Can we do a three-parter? Is that a thing? We can totally do a three-parter. Okay. Get a second break in there. Okay. Everybody got an ad. Let's give them an It's Fits. That's true. That's a fun little thing. That's true. All right, so keep listening. You'll get an It's Fits. Oh, God. (laughs) So just to touch on uh, season two and what it did for this show, what they do is they present you a completely different setting, a completely different family. And I looked it up. Are we this far back in season two? We're still talking about (laughs) I just wanted to touch on the fact that at the end of the first episode in season two... You have Evie, who is Evie Murphy, the daughter of this main family in Jarden, the Garveys of Jarden, Texas. Mm-hmm. And Evie, at the end of season two, no, at the end of the first episode, Evie, oh yes, and two of her friends disappear. Yes, and so you have to deal with a town who has believed that their town is safe. Deal with the idea of whether these three girls have departed. If this is a second departure. Or what has happened to them. And the way that it is presented to us, it looks like a departure. Mm -hmm. Except for the fact that Kevin sees them on the night that he tries to commit suicide Mm -hmm. by Cinderblock. But in the first first episode, we we see like he was just there. There. So now he's like, oh shit, everybody's going to find out about my shit. And they think I might have done something. And again, Kevin being saved. Like... (sighs) seemingly miraculously by an earthquake. Right. Which like cylinder block with rope. Cool. Cool. Very cool. Evocative. I like it. Yes, absolutely. And but like he's he's like, oh I just did this really kind of embarrassing thing and I don't remember doing it. And I just did it at a spot where now everybody is looking right. at what's going on. Cause like when he gets up he's like, what's this car? Is that how I got here? Who is this? There's no one in there handprint on the door and he's like oh, i guess i'll i guess i'll just go be a psychopath somewhere else right. and walks away <laughs> and and then everybody else is like hey let's all focus on this one spot right here and nobody brings up the fact that there's a cylinder block with a rope attached to it right which i guess is loose. like it, it, that's a a thing you would find at the bottom of a thing. Of a quarry that has never been drained. Fine. I'm not sure. I'm not bugged about it. This this show actually, for how um uh precise and uh possibly convoluted it can become, doesn't really have a lot of plot holes. Which is really no. cool. They kind of wrap everything up. And plot holes even like to the point where it's like in the first season, there's this big thing with Holy Wayne and um I'm going to not put it delicately. I'm actually going to put it as forcefully as I can. Do it. Um, Fucking underage Asian girls. A bunch of them. A bunch of them. They don't just drop that. No. It drops for a while. 
And then we realized, like, no, it came back, and um, uh, Holy Wayne was probably lying, and uh, he liked to have sex with Asian teenagers, and he, and, found uh, the he got some of them pregnant. To do it. Yeah, and he yeah. was able to trick them into thinking that they were like a part of something special, and it's like. After somebody who is a survivor of something like that is just like, well, I want my baby back. Right. I want my baby back, baby <laughs> back, baby back, baby back. Ribs. Uh, and it's really sad because we feel for the mother of uh, Lily. Uh, we do. And it's Christine. like she deserves to have her baby if she's comfortable with raising that baby and she's comfortable in the sense of what she did with holy wayne and where she is now she she's, deserves to have yeah. that baby but also we're like well that really sucks because nora already lost two kids and i was like that one gets taken and like that's when when kevin says like do you want to have a baby her like reaction her laugh at that it's just like you stupid idiot like are you not even paying attention to what's going on? How she feels Do you think I want to have another kid right now? I've had three ripped from, me. ripped from me. You think I want to have another baby? And that's, again, like the whole male ego thing where it's like sometimes a a man thinks like the, the closest way to be able to connect with a woman is to be like, well, let me put a baby in you and you grow it for nine months. Then we have it and we raise it. Like, that's that's nice, right? Like, why don't we do that? And it's the the show is unapologetic in Kevin's just like, dude, like no, 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 easy, easy, relax, dude. Like that's that's not the best course of action here. You're literally like suffocating yourself for fun to feel in the third season. Like you think having a baby is gonna fix everything, right? You have yourself like a little moment of cha cha cha, and then and that's gonna that's gonna do everything. And then you're fixed. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a great commentary without painting the male ego as like a bad thing. The male ego is a thing that exists. It's always going to be there. True. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a, an unhealthy thing to sure. not to not question. Sure, sure. It's a thing that exists in the society we live in. And it's a hard thing to even squander. Like it's a hard thing to like snuff out at this point like it it is going to exist until our culture changes and i don't know if our culture will ever change so it's it's a give and take it's a thing that exists it's not i wouldn't say a necessary evil because i don't want to classify it as evil it's just something that is there it's rotten it is a little rotten it's a rotten apple and what's the and a full harvest of what's the saying it's like a, a rotten apple it spoils the batch. Oh, I'm not sure. I've never heard that. What's that? Like a rotten, a rotten thing. Like spoils. Like everything else can I be don't... great, but if there's one rotten thing in there, yeah, it's like oh, it's gonna ruin everything because it's gonna spread. Right. Kind right. of thing, and it's uh, that's um, men. Yeah. Yeah. That's just men on the planet. <laughs> like we're the rotten apple, <laughs> and until we start trying to figure out ways to make it so that we're not rotten anymore, um. We're just going to keep, like, fucking shit up. Yeah. I mean, that's it, man. Yeah. Why the Last Man. Good story. Oh, I've never read that. Why the Last Man. Yeah. Every man I... disappears on the planet except for one. Okay. Yeah, I've... It's I've, a cool I've, idea, it's right? It's been around for a long time. Hope it's me. <laughs> I just don't want to die. <laughs> it's a self-preservation yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, it's not so much that I want to be around afterwards. I just want to be like... <laughs> I feel like I'd be a good... 
version of a man to be left around like I'm the last man on earth I don't this isn't back padding it's just like sure. I kind of feel like I'd be like oh cool I'm gonna go live on an island completely separate from you guys you guys do whatever you want and for any reason you need me just let me know oh. you guys run this shit you would just exile yourself so that the rest of the world could become the Masira yeah exactly yeah but that's, that's everybody would probably want to kill me Oh, and it's a post-apocalyptic. It doesn't matter about sex at that point. It's just like, oh, I was going to fucking kill you. Well, I mean, we would need to at least ensure some other generation. So I'm sure you would Oh, not you guys be can killed. figure Like, there's a bunch of sperm frozen in places and stuff like that. That's Unless true. you guys want to keep me around, like, for just, like, fun time stuff. Which I'm not necessarily sure that I'm comfortable with. Oh, okay. I'd rather go out on the island and just kind of live out my own days. And you think your your wishes would be respected. That's I have cute. a lot of books that <laughs> I could true. read. And I would hope that my wishes are respected. It's not like men haven't respected <laughs> women's wishes oh. uh, for, uh, uh, what is it, uh, uh, millennia? Millennia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that. Oh, of course, of course. God, that would be horrible. Be the last <laughs> man on earth. Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, Burge, I really, really like you. But if there was going to be one man left alive, I would hope it was my husband. But uh, you're also very cool. <laughs> I would too. Jesus. <laughs> uh, yeah, just to touch on a few things with uh, the, the earthquake that ends up saving Kevin when he tries to drown himself. The earthquake drains the... The reservoir that he's trying to commit suicide in. Which isn't too much of an act of God, too, because it's like the place is plagued with earthquakes. Yeah. They're getting it before. They're getting it after. It's true. But yeah, to see Nora's reaction to that when Kevin isn't home and she wakes up and and no one's in the house. it's the worst. And she doesn't know if there's been a second departure. That scene alone and seeing Nora's reaction to possibly have lost everyone again for a second time. That scene is unbelievable and difficult to watch. It's the dramatic visualization of when your loved one isn't answering texts. Right. You're like, why aren't you? What's going on here? There was an accident on a highway right by us. I knew you were coming home from work. Where are you? you? And they're just like, oh. They couldn't text because they were driving. I was just driving. I I wasn't checking my phone. And it's like, it's that That kind of realistic thing just kind of heightened to a dramatic level. Yeah, especially when at the end of the first season, all of the people who have lost people in Mapleton, the the Guilty Remnant has created replicants of everyone, has basically hired a third party to make these representations of their lost loved ones and they dress them accordingly and leave oh, them and the in first the house. That's the worst goddamn thing in the world that made me sick. And so Nora has had to deal with, like, losing her loved ones, seeing her loved ones at the breakfast table again, and then possibly losing Kevin and Jill and Immediately again. after, because that's in the 10th episode, immediately yes. after the ninth episode where we are shown, like, what was it like when these people disappeared? Mm-hmm. And I'd like to, they don't really have any characters that were, like, directly looking at people when it happened. Right. It's more just, like, uh, a matter of geography. It's more of like yeah. a matter of positioning where it's like uh, Jill and Tom are at the science fair and they're all holding hands and it like lights up the light bulb and then all of a sudden one so of them's cool. gone and the light bulb goes out and it's like, what? Where's Kathy? We were all looking thing. at the light bulb. Which right. that in looking at, which I think we'll get deeper into after the break. 
I promise you, listeners, three parts, not four. It's not, it's not going to be four. It's three. <laughs> it's a three-season thing. That's true. That's uh, true. And it, it, the idea of the hypothetical answer to what happened to the departed that we are given with, the only, like, solid thing that we're given that may or may not be true is, like, that person at Tom and Jill Science Fair, she was the only person to disappear there. Right. So in the version that we're given, like what happened to the two percent, she's the only person in that in that circle. Yeah, because like it's it it's brought up in the third season that what happened to the two percent is that it was kind of like a alternate reality kind of split where ninety eight percent ninety eight percent of people gone. stayed in one and then two percent stayed in the other. So it's like at the beginning of the show when we're shown the one character that comes up in every season which is really fucking cool that they do that the mother that loses uh the yes. baby at the laundromat at the very first scene of the pilot yeah. the very first thing that we're introduced to is sam sam yeah uh mm-hmm. and then the car crashes matt crashing With his and wife yeah very losty they they, they do yes. that like for a very brief thing but they don't go too heavy into it um it's we're presented with the idea that the other two percent are in an alternate reality where everything is absolutely the same. Only in our reality, we lost those two percent. In their reality, they lost everyone, as Nora says. They lost the ninety-eight percent. So they're and I really like the one line of scientific kind of like logical thing where it's like not a lot of pilots left so we can't really fly all that much right i really like that idea right it i was don't a very know practical sense i don't know how much i like the idea that uh nora can go to um it's not marlboro oh mapleton mapleton <laughs> that she can go to mapleton to the exact same house and like her family is still living in the exact same house it's like yeah. i feel like at that point it would be kind of like a last man on earth kind of thing which i don't they know if would, you watch that show where it's like yeah. oh you would go to they the really merge. nice houses they all you merge. Would go to the nice houses yeah right everything's empty why don't you take the best one? which is what leads me to believe that she's lying just that's fair that's fair i i'd like to believe that uh she that that family is very emotionally tied to that house. The whole it's the whole thing. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if what you believe is right, and it doesn't matter if what I believe is right. I think what it matters is our integrity of the characters. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if we believe in these characters. And that's a very good stopping point to okay. break for this. All right. Because at this point now we're like really getting into the nitty gritty and yeah. we should save this. For the third part. Because I really feel like we've kind of talked about like the first half of the second season. And I feel like the second half of the second season and the third season kind of work in tandem. Because we start getting into the Kevin headspace stuff that is very important in what's going on. Because the third season very much kind of operates around that. Yeah. Kevin as an international assassin or Mm. a cop, depending on which uniform he puts in. Or a president. Or, or president. Man of God. Yeah. Well, he's an identical twin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That all really ties into the headspace that you get into for, as you said, the back half of second season and third season. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. We will take a very quick break and get right back into it and really discuss uh, that last episode and the last season. This is one of my favorite episodes I've ever done. Really? I love talking about this show. Oh, I'm so pleased. Yeah, me too. I hope it's not... 
uh, like weighing on the listener that well, we're talking about it so much, but it's like if if the listener has seen the leftovers, they're sucking up they're every this. fucking minute of this because I think right. that they agree. I don't think we've done anything too controversial. No, I think the most controversial thing that we've said this whole time is the fact that I don't believe Nora. Oh, I I thought you were going to say that Holy Wayne was fucking all those underage Asian girls. I mean, that's what he was doing. That's true. That's true. It's not I, I think that it's kind of proven that he wasn't doing that. <laughs> like he wasn't healing people, and he was like, "I'm gonna put the seed of of me and everyone new, new of like other other holy huggers." Right. He just really liked having sex with Asian teenagers, and it really sucks. But he's kind of an asshole anyway, so it's not yeah. like they made him seem like he was a good guy. No. I'm glad he died. I mean, he granted Kevin's wish at the end of season one, I guess. Kind of. I mean, Kevin, I mean if you believe in Kevin that. Kevin obviously wished for, I wish my family was back together. I wish I had a family again. I think that's what his wish was. You and, think so? And then he comes home and Nora's like, look what I found. She's got Lily and Tom and Jill have both shown up. And it's like, I wish my family was back together. And it's yeah. again, it's like, and is then that Laurie a coincidence? Or is that, we were breaking, right? Yeah, we're breaking. Oh, okay. We're breaking. Well, can we maybe, uh, Burge and I did a La La Land podcast and then we revisited it a year later. Ooh. Would you like to maybe do that for this? Yeah. Okay. All right. Totally. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome to another episode of It's Fitz, where Story Screen's film laureate, Brian Robert Fitzgibbons, speaks on a film. Today, Fitz will discuss the 1994 Robert Zemeckis film, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. That's an easy one. Um... Starring Tom Hanks, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Did I fuck that up? Gary Sandler's in it. And that, uh, what's his fucking name? Can't remember, but that's one of the best characters. Private Dan. Yo, say what you want about Forrest Gump. He might be not the smartest, but it's that movie's good. It goes throughout a lot of history. Like, somehow they create him meeting JFK, LBJ. I mean, they... It's easy to do that, I guess, but it's a really good movie. Run home, wait, far, far away from here. Dear, dear God, make me a bird. But what did I want to say about Forrest Gump? I was in, I remember when I saw it in the movie theater, I was in fifth grade and I had an ear infection, so it was awful. It, it hurt. I had to go to urgent care after that. But anyway, Forrest Gump is a good movie. Not that my opinions matter. <clears throat> dear, dear God, make me a bird. This has been another episode of It's Fits. Alright, welcome back to our third part of our Cathode Raycast episode of The Leftovers. And we are going to do our best to fully dig in to the third season and really dig into Kevin Jr.'s psyche as he goes into the third season of kind of being told that he might be 
a new prophet, a new gospel of Kevin, which is how we open up season three as him finding out that he is kind of being looked at as this new biblical figure. Because he has died twice. Right. Uh, and come back. And come back. And uh, Michael, John's son, can attest to the first one. Right. And John himself can attest to the second one where it's like, I shot you. And that's one of the best things, too, because I didn't know what Leftovers season three was going to be. I had no right. idea that Kevin was still going to be in it. And so when John shot Kevin in the season finale of season two, I'm like... You just killed him, maybe. Like, I, I thought, like, that was playing into like the idea of the belief structure and it's like oh this guy can die and he can come back and it's like oh well he poisoned himself right and he came back from like this really cool episode Mm -hmm. and then he's talking to this guy and he's kind of got this lease on life now where he's like i can say whatever i want because i'm untouchable Mm -hmm. almost kind of right and then john just shoots him in the chest i'm like oh fuck they just kill the main character Right. And my idea was that John was going to be the main character going forward. Interesting. Into the third season. But then I saw the end. Right. Of the season finale of season two. And it is. It's got one of my favorite lines in a movie that's only one word. Or or favorite lines in a TV show or anything that's only one word. Where it's like John says. I killed you. And Kevin goes. Nope. (laughs) He's like just sitting there bleeding and just like, nope. No, you didn't. And it's like the nope just like brought out like a huge laugh in me. Right, right. Um, And so like, I I guess like if we're going to try and stay on season three as best as we can. Yeah, yeah. And this one is season two, you know, more or less the only real implications from season Two going into season three are this uh, this other world that Kevin mm-hmm. goes to right when he when he quote unquote dies like he poisons himself because uh, Kevin's father in law correct or, or uh, John's father in law correct correct Erica's dad Erica's dad um, is a very God bless you oh bless you. They usually come in threes with him. Is it? It's gone. It's gone? Um, Well, he usually comes in threes of the leftovers, too. Uh, (laughs) He departed. It's... Oh, no. Um, It's... uh, Kevin goes to John's Mm -hmm. father-in-law, who says that I can can help you fight um, the so-called shadow that you have, which the shadow... Like, Patty represents... The idea of the male ego, which I think this like this is probably like the really good point to get into it Absolutely. because the male ego is really tackled in the first two seasons, and the third season is more or less kind of coming to grips with how is Kevin and Nora, by extension, going to deal with the answers that you're getting. Right. And in so the, the male ego thing with Kevin is that he is this guy who is um, in a position of power. 
mm-hmm. at the start of the show. The the first the first scene of the actual show, taking the prelude out, which is everything with the laundromat with the girl and, and everything like that. Yeah. The very first scene that we are given is a man running. Mm-hmm. And he comes across a dog, mm-hmm. and he tries to bring the dog oh, towards dog. him. Come, come! It's okay. It's okay. Come here. And dog gets shot. Right. And this is the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. So we are presented right there with the idea of we have a guy who is running. Which is, in and of itself, it's a little fucking sweaty, but, like, in and of itself is the idea of, like, we run, human beings run for fun to control our own health. And we are in control. We are, we are basically trying to make ourselves the healthiest versions of what we are. Right. Uh, And then all of a sudden he is presented with this thing where it's like, oh, shit just got, like, ripped away from you. And you have, like, a bunch of grief and loss in there as well, like, with the dog. Um, And everything moving on from there, especially with the comparisons to Kevin Sr., which becomes more apparent as the season goes on, is that Kevin's story is one of a dude who, a man who uh, had everything. Mm-hmm. We find out in episode nine, he had everything. Yes. He had the house, loving the wife, good kids, yeah. big house, everything like that. They're thinking about getting a dog, maybe having another kid. And all of that is taken away from him. And also he doesn't know if it will make him feel anything. Well, and it's not like and he, not, he's, yeah. he's, he's a um, post, he's the poster boy for just like, Nothing is fulfilling me. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do. I have a right. great job. I have a great wife. I have a family. My I have a great is house. My dad person of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is fine. And he feels like mm, there's something missing. And he's mm-hmm. constantly running from, what from he has. reality and what's going on, is, which is why he always runs. Which I wonder if they picked a man of Justin Thoreau's exquisite physique. To be like, like, oh, if this guy is running so much, he's going to have like a really tight bod. Right. And I feel like they did. I feel like yeah. Justin Thoreau didn't like just, uh, he, it's not like he just showed up looking like that and they were like, oh, good, we'll do that. Or, you know, he, he showed up and he didn't look like that and they were like, start looking like that. Right. It could be, I, I feel like he's sexy as fuck. Mm-hmm. Him coming out of those bathtubs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 It's like I'm. I am. I am as straight as a goddamn newly bought nail. All sure. Right? And even I'm like. Well, I mean, if if he was interested and he liked me, and I found I, I found him interesting, and he found me interesting, like yeah, sure, that'd be fun. Yeah. Um. Well. Just a quick aside. Yeah. Oh, please. Uh, what, please do. <laughs> what I was really familiar with with Justin Thoreau was literally his very side character in American Psycho, which is all about the building of a perfect human life. He's like a, sp- it's so he's like a spice it's so on tiny. all the... You know that he wrote Tropic Thunder? What? You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> he wrote that movie. And then I had seen him in Wanderlust, 
where right. Jennifer Aniston is so like seduced by him. He's like the perfect male. He just like list. plays a guy that's there to like eventually marry Jennifer Aniston in yeah. real life. Like that's yeah. that's all he is. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I knew him from. But yeah, continue sliding out of bathrooms. Um, uh, really good abs, <laughs> great back. Like I really want to learn his back workout because like that back is like. Mm. I would love to know how they kept the makeup so tight on his tattoos. Are those his actual tattoos? Dude, are they? Because they never come up. And I feel like this is like a fuck you from Damon Lindelof where he gives a main character tattoos and never explains them. Yeah. Because the the tattoos uh, on Matthew Fox, Jack, and Lost are his actual tattoos. Right. And everyone is like, what do the tattoos mean? What a mysterious show. They must mean something. So they just kind of wrote them in there. Right. And I feel like this was him like, I'm going to take a character that has no tattoos. And I'm going to give him a shit ton of tattoos and never explain it. He's got a tattoo of scissors on his wrist. Yes. That never comes up. And they're not his real tattoos, right? They're not. Are they? I don't don't know. know. (laughs) Does he have a full back piece in real life? He can't have a full back piece. It makes no sense. So the the makeup work on this show, we haven't touched on that yet, but it's amazing mm-hmm. to keep those tattoos in check. For all and Justin Thoreau's body yeah. is amazing in this show. So thank you to him for keeping that in check. <laughs> yes. It's so good. It's a heavy record. Even as like uh, somebody who's in their 60s, like he's like insanely fuckable. In like the last episode yes. where it's just, I'm just like, oh yeah, I don't, the crow eyes, Who cares? no bother. Who cares? It could have been. At least give him like a pot belly. Right. But no. But they didn't because he's a man who runs his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so to get back to... But again, like the male ego in him, it's like he's constantly running and everything in the first season is kind of really... And this is another thing where I had like a gigantic... uh, breakthrough with like, oh God, this this show is affecting me personally, is that in the ninth episode, it really breaks down the fact that he had, he was already falling apart before this happened. Right. It wasn't, it's presented beforehand as if like, oh, this, this happening broke him. broke him. And it's like, what about that broke him? And the ninth episode presents the idea, it was like, no, this dude was already Broken. Really fucked beforehand. Right. And now he's been presented with this thing where it's like everybody around him is looking for answers and and he has none. And it's making him focus on himself and like what are the questions that I have? And he doesn't even know what he's asking, so he can't find answers. It's it's again, it's the it's it's the allegorical version of what he says when he says when it happened. Everybody was coming to me for help, and I and, and I couldn't. Right. I didn't know how, and it's impersonalized towards him, like self-reflective. It's it's metaphorical of him having all of these problems, and now all of a sudden, almost every person in the world has these problems that he had. These ideas of like. What am I doing here? What am I supposed to do? And they're all coming to him because he's a cop for answers. And he's like, dude, I haven't even started trying to figure this shit out. Right. And I, and this is like, that's a big thing with me where it's like, I, I present myself as like a dude that like, I, I, I like to think that I know what I'm doing. I, I, I try to, I, I, I have this, I exude confidence 
to try and mask like the idea that I'm actually terrified that people won't like me, whether they're just like random people I meet or some of the most important people in the world, like Diana's parents or anything like that. Um, and that, that is very much, uh, tied into my idea of what male ego is. And because I'm a man, I'm supposed to be confident and I, I should be able to take care of myself. And I only have my version of what it is for me to take care of myself. Right. So I don't know if that's the right way. And I'm constantly trying to figure out like, is that, is that the way to do it? Or like, am I, am I fucking this up and everybody else is just being really nice to me? You know, it, 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 it it's, it's, it's panic inducing paranoia kind of shit. Yeah. And it's in my head all the time. And this show, especially in the first season, and they build on it more on the other ones, it really deals with this dude that's like, he looks great. Mm-hmm. He's got a great wife, good house, mm-hmm. good family, good dude. He does not have a goddamn thing locked down. He has no. nothing, no control over anything. Because he doesn't understand who he is. Right. Yeah. And then ev- and then like a dude that has zero control over anything is all of a sudden put in a world where everybody realizes control kind of doesn't exist. Right. And he's forced to reflect on himself. Well, what does that mean towards me? Like, I was looking for answers in a world that I thought had them, and now there's nothing. I I found out that nobody has the answers. Even Matt, who is the priest in the town, has no answers for this. Right, right. No, I feel uh, similar to you, but also opposite. I think most of my life, especially pre-undergrad, like, I had a, a representation of myself that I gave to people, but I didn't truly know who I was either. Like, I was trying to hold it together, like, the oldest child of a single-parent household, um, making sure that all of our eggs were in a row, all of our chicks were in a row. Uh, just finding out later on that I didn't have to have everyone like me. It was okay if people didn't like me. And that was like a very hard realization, but also a very like difficult realization to reach until I was in college. And even like a little bit post-college, I finally became comfortable with the fact that no, like you don't have control over other people's perception of you. You only have your own control. And I think Kevin Jr. has that realization as much as he thinks Patty is his shadow and his antagonist. I think that was like the moment where he started to wake up. And yeah. that was the first thing that actually made him feel anything I, in years. I really want to talk to you about this. Like where it's sure. Patty is the um mental projection. As a mental projection, if that's the route that we're going here, where it's Kevin uh, goes through a very traumatic experience at the end of season one mm-hmm. and starts projecting Patty as his uh, subconscious. Right. And season season two begins with the idea that he needs to try and get rid of her. Right. But Patty is... When Kevin falls asleep, what he's doing and what he's trying to do, Patty is kind of like the verbalized version of that. Right. It is the... You're fucked up. You're fucking crazy. 
you're going to fuck everything up. No matter what you do, it's going to turn to shit. You should just kill yourself. Yeah. And that's not all she's doing because she doesn't want him to kill to himself. Die. Yeah. She's just like the the visualized version of his of his darker self. Right. Of his self that is attempting to understand and consider all of the implications that have been placed on him right. personally and from uh, the sudden departure. And the fact that he wants to try and destroy that in season two is really sad. It's very scary. It, it, yeah. it, 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 it's kind of bittersweet. You're like, well, yeah, he should probably get rid of that because it, it's going to hurt somebody eventually. Right. But also it's like he needs to listen to what she's saying because it, it, it it's a good point. Right. And I feel like when they finally do the, um, you know, the international assassin episode where he goes in and he has a conversation with her down in the well. Yes. It really is personified where he understands that she is not, she is not Patty. Right. She is him. Mm -hmm. And she is everything about him that he can either embrace or that he can um, completely push away. There's right. no balance that can no. be seen in it. He can't come to terms with what she's trying to tell him. He either has to fully embrace her, which he fears he's going to kill himself if he does. Right. Or completely get rid of her, in which case he has no idea what's going to happen. And it's him drowning her in the well, or even beforehand him pushing the little girl into the well is a gigantic leap of faith. He doesn't know what it's going to be, but he's afraid of what is the certain um, other version of what he's doing. Right. He doesn't know if it's going to be his demise or if it's going to be his success. Right. And But he's certain that if he doesn't push her into the well, if he back. doesn't drown her, he's going to, it's not going to happen. He's going to yeah. die. Or even if he wakes up, like it's, it's not going to be worth it. Right. But he doesn't know what happens if he does. And that shot of him. So when I made yes. your, when I, really quickly, uh, when I made your, um, the article, your article, and I had to pick pictures. pictures. Right. And I just, I tried to pick pictures that I thought weren't too revealing because I'd mm -hmm. never seen the show. Sure. And I picked, um, the, the one of them of the was well. him talking to a little girl at the well. And the whole show, I'm watching it and I'm like, when happening? does that happen? And then when I find out when it happens, I thought in my head, I was like, oh, is that like Lori or Jill? Like when they're younger and he's like talking to them in a dream. And I was like, oh no, that's, that's Patty. Him. Like, Essentially. Oh God, it's. <laughs> no, I was going to say that. Have I mentioned that I love this show, that I think this show is perfect and great? <laughs> I think so. Okay. I think maybe once at this point. I just maybe. want to make sure that I got that point across. No, I think it's uh, really depressing and sad that he has this representation almost of this Patty Shadow in Jill. Jill, his daughter, is kind of like a voice of reason for him. She wants him to do well. She is also messed up and hurt by the situations that she has had to be put through through her upbringing, especially during high school, because that's a really tumultuous time, no matter what. And then you have this, the sudden departure and her family falling apart on top of it. But she has always been a champion for her father. And she's always wanted her father to do well. And when Nora leaves with Lily and with uh, Mary and 
she's gone. And Jill says, what did you do this time? Like, did you mess this up again? You have to fix this. So we have this shadow Patty almost acting as a heightened version of Jill. And also a heightened version of his ex-wife, Lori, who is a therapist. And then you have, yeah, Patty as like this voice of reason who is also trying to help him. Albeit, In a way, yeah. Uh, I don't very, think I don't think it's a mistake that his voice of reason or like women. his subcon—they're all women. Yeah. yeah, I think that's very very powerful. And yeah, when he finally, let's say, like destroys her, although he doesn't, uh, we find out later in season three that she was never fully gone. Uh, yeah, seeing that scene in the well, pushing that little girl, fully understanding that this is like well, the most basic and pure version of what he is dealing with. Yeah, this is what brings into the idea is like, is what he's doing in the purgatory world, as we'll call it, mm-hmm. is what he's doing there uh, symbolic of like a place that actually exists where people go, or right. is this all in his head? Does it have real repercussions or right. not? And it's really, there are no right or wrong answers. There and aren't. that's one of the things that The Leftovers does is like, there are no, we're not going to give you answers, but we're going to give you enough questions where if you answer them all personally, you will have a better scope of what we're talking about. life is a bunch of questions and we're never going to get answers to those questions. Some of them we will, most of them we won't. Mm -hmm. And Lost and The Leftovers, or rather I should say the final season of Lost and The Leftovers Mm -hmm. are dealing with the idea that we are presented with these questions and it doesn't really matter if we get the answers. It's more about the fact that we question the thing to begin with. It's making you as a viewer have to come to terms with the the possibility that you are living in a life of uncertainty. Yeah. And that's okay. And it can be okay. The entire, like my trifecta, the, the three things that I, I, I absolutely fucking love to like try and figure shit out about myself in the world, philosophy, psychology, and sociology. Right. There are no definitive answers to anything yes. in any of those three fields. There are no definitive answers. And that's what makes them so important is that you can use things to be able to shake out or rattle up the the things that you never would have questioned or you never would have considered. Questions allow you to consider things that you never would have considered if the question was never answered, if the question was never asked. Asked, The fact that the question is never answered is not bad. Right. It's the fact that the question was even asked and presented to you in a way that made you consider enough where you can be changed at right. the end, whether it's for the better or for the worse. Like that's that's the ending of Lost and that's the ending of this show. Right. We have asked a bunch of mysteries and a bunch of questions. We've never promised to answer them. And that was kind of the thing with Lost where like, it was a bigger show and they were like, oh, we'll answer them. It was ABC. Leftovers yeah. is more like, we've never said that we're going to answer this stuff. And and they actually said in the first season that they would never say where the departed went. Right. And so when it ends on that and mm-hmm. you're given that point of view, it's like, well. But is it? 
And that's yeah. the whole thing. So it's like, you know, you could go like, oh, well, maybe it never was. But that's also, uh, you know, baked into the cake. Like, that's the egg of the last episode. Holding the cake together. Cake of, yeah, like, that's what it is, is the fact that it's like, do you believe what she's saying? Right. And it's not even important at that point. If you believe it, you're just kind of like, does Kevin? Right. Like, is this going to work out? Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, we were Again, talking. jumping ahead to the the season finale, the very series end. finale, which is one of the greatest series finales ever. I absolutely agree. Uh, we were talking earlier about Lori's character, uh, the actress Amy Brenneman. I really only knew her from Transparent, and not to say that I dislike Transparent, but I have a lot of issues with Transparent. Oh, and so do a lot of people. So do a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And Amy Brenneman's character in that. I think her acting is superb because I think you're meant to dislike her or be on the fence about her. And I didn't necessarily understand how good of an actress she was until watching The Leftovers and seeing her play Laurie. She's phenomenal. And you said she was very overrated. And so we get this uh, towards the end of one of the episodes in season three. uh, Laurie is helping Nora find some of the physicists slash scientists who are saying that they may they might be able to send her to a place where the departed were sent there's this completely scientific element to the third season where there is this supposed machine that can take you to where the departed go and did you ever watch perfect strangers no no i did not you did not but i looked it up Extensively for this show because of the third episode. I grew up with Perfect Strangers. Did you really? So this was very intense. Yes. So that episode is very intense for somebody that watched because they bring up Perfect Strangers and like God, like first three episodes or something like that. They bring up like oh, these are a list of everybody left except for one cast member of Perfect Strangers, but I don't think it was ever said who it was. Right. And then they were just able to get... The dude. The dude, yeah, to do it. And it, it, it is... Um, oh, I don't remember. He has a three... He's a three-namer. It's like his first name, his middle name, and his last name. Mm-hmm. I'm not like a, a Perfect Strangers like uh, fan. Sure. But I, I remember... I, I watched it growing up because my parents would always watch older stuff, like Nick at Night kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And at that point, like that's the kind of shit that was going on sure and so i have this kind of it's kind of weird because it's kind of like in the same vein that biblical like sure the relationship i have with the bible is like well i don't follow it too much and i couldn't get very specific about it but the first 13 years of my life bible and perfect strangers that was oh my goodness going on in there bird I'm starting to understand how this touched you personally. I mean, it got me like, I mean, that's one episode really where it hits. And, but I think that, and I think they probably do a good job for people that haven't seen the show. And you can attest to this. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen the show, you kind of get it. You're like, this is a dude who was like an actor and all of his friends disappeared and he just kind of wants to join them. So he fakes his departure right yeah and you can kind of get that and he's like i just felt bad yeah because like i was the only one left and i didn't want everybody asking me about all this shit and i also didn't want to fucking deal with it myself yeah but it's really weird having it be like 
I've seen, I've watched episodes on TV of the show that they're talking about. And to make it a real show is kind of like a really risky choice right. or rather a risque choice like yeah. to do that like they could have very easily just made up a show yeah but it really kind of grounds it oh my gosh by doing that and that's what the show really much is about they they really try and ground this kind of out there mentality in our real world as if like this, this shit happened. happened yeah yeah well writing my article about the music in the show I was listening to all the different songs that were in the theme songs, and that third season uses a bunch of different songs uh, leading up to the penultimate and the series finale. And I was listening to the Perfect Strangers theme song. Which is one of the openings. Right. And Heath was like, ah, this music is terrible. And I'm like, I actually really love it, but it's only because it's associated with this show. Wait, did when you first heard it, did you know that that was the theme for no. the show? Oh, see, that's like when it first came on for You're me. Like, I was like, oh, I had no idea that they were going to go that Tied way it with in. it. And then when they did it, I was like, why are they playing the perfect? Why are they playing? Why are they playing the perfect stranger song? They mentioned this. What are they doing? Why? Like they're what breaking me. They're breaking me. Bum, bam, bum, bam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it was so good. And that like. Very Did they use SOS by ABBA as one of the openings, or was that just in the... That the, was in an episode. That was not an they opening. They just use it in an episode. Correct. Right. Correct. Because that is my go-to. When I want to think about... When I want to think about The Leftovers, I listen to one of three songs. ABBA, mm-hmm. um, SOS, uh-huh. uh, Angel in the Morning, okay, or uh, Homeward Bound, uh, Simon oh, Garfunkel. Okay. when he sings Homeward Bound at the end of season two, it is the most... Perfect goddamn thing that has ever happened on this planet. Boom. Mark it now. it right there. Most perfect thing in the world. It's breaking down. I love Justin Thoreau. I want to be his friend so yes. much. Yes. He doesn't want to be my friend because I would just talk to him that. about the leftovers all the time. That's all I would do. I'd just be like, dude, leftovers. Tropic Thunder is a great screenplay. I'm glad that you wrote it. But also, like, and you're really hot and wanderlust, and I'm glad that you met your wife doing that. And but you had, leftovers. You had a beard, but fine. But leftovers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I always think of, yeah, that Irish Dement song, the season two theme song. Yeah. That's it for me, mostly. But yeah, so many good use like needle drops. You were in not this wrong song. in writing an article about the music alone. The way that this show utilizes music is oh. just out of control. Whether or not it's Max Richter's original score, or right. uh, I, I need to come up with a term for it, but it's just like utilizing music that's kind of out of place, right? Uh, uh tonally mm-hmm. of what you're doing. It's like you know. Did you see a girl with a dragon tattoo? David Fincher's girl with a dragon tattoo? Are you going to talk about the immigrant song by Karen O? I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm going to talk about the Enya song that they play at the end. Oh, that's great too. It's insane. They play the Enya song, which uh, I can't, it, it's uh, Oracone Fire or something like that. I can't remember the mm-hmm. actual name of the song, but it's, it's, it's the one where it's like, sail away, yeah, sail, sail away, sail away. away. Yeah. And they play it during uh, one of the most like gruesome torture scenes Completely in the, in terrifying. the movie, which the scene itself and the song come out of nowhere. Right. I love shit like that. Reservoir Dogs. Yes. Playing stuck in the middle with you. Fun, poppy, pumpy song. 
while a dude is torturing a cop. Right. I love shit like that. I live for the, the discommunication of what a song is meant to evoke. Right. By attempting to evoke a different emotion from that. I got to come up with a term for that. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I absolutely understand. I was trying to. And the show does that like to the T. Absolutely. I was trying to think of the song and I cannot think of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, at in the episode uh, No Room at the Inn during season two, okay, where it opens up with Matt Jameson mm-hmm. trying to reawake Mary because mm-hmm. a certain song was being played. The song that he's playing over and over again to wake in up the, Mary in the thing. Yeah, you need to uh, go to TuneFind.com. Oh my goodness, TuneFind.com is absolutely awesome. It is while you're doing this, I'll just plug them because they're fucking great. I've never even they're heard a of non- this. They're a nonprofit site. They are essentially a yep. home TV shows, movies. Boom. Yep. Are you kidding? It me? is a it is a search engine site that is specifically tell us a song and we will tell you every movie that it's in and we'll show you the scene. Or you can go to the movie or TV show by episode, go down the line by the scene, and it will show you like oh that's where it is like that's the song that they did. Why didn't we make this website? Because it existed before we started doing this. Yeah, it's existed for a little bit. This is amazing. It is a fantastic website. I love it. I build a lot of uh, Spotify playlists off of uh, TuneFind. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. Did you find it? I did not. I am searching <laughs> at the moment. Uh, let's see here. While you do that, I will, yeah, ta- please do. I, will, I will talk about all six of Justin Thoreau's abs. Now, the one that is... <laughs> If you're looking at him and he's facing you, the one that's on the upper left, it's not as chiseled or defined as the one that's on the upper right, but that's good because we don't want all our men to be perfect. We want to be able to fix them, right? So then we move down to the middle left. Did you find it? it? Oh, I okay. found it. It's a Let Your Love Flow by yeah. the Bellamy Brothers. Tune Find. Tune Find. It's a great fucking app. Sorry, Tune Find, that I didn't know about you beforehand. This now, is hopefully, a bunch of people do. I hope so. But yeah, no, the use of music in this show is phenomenal. Just out of control. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about a lot about needle drops, and I don't think that they get enough love. I think a lot of shows flounder because they don't know how to do it. Like like maybe The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, take note from The Leftovers. It's one of the Anyways, worst things about The Handmaid's Tale, man, is their needle drops out. are so just unconsidered. Yeah. They're not bad. It's just like, I don't think you understand. Like, you totally get the point. Right. But you're not really considering the tone. Right. The execution. Right. It's the worst part about The Handmaid's Tale, and I, I fucking agree. hate it. I agree. Because they usually do it at very big moments where I'm already invested. You could have no music, and I'm like, fuck, I'm sorry this is happening to you guys, and I'm, I'm really upset. But they try and, like... And it's not every time. It's the not The first every season's time. got a couple that I, like, really fucking like. Like, the first season's got a couple that I consider, like, all-timers. Sure. Really good shit. Sure. But, um, yeah, that's definitely, like, the worst part of that show is that and not enough Joe Fines. <laughs> Agreed. More Joe Fines. I need it. Agreed. I need more Joe Fines. He's, he makes everything better. 
I was going to say, I thought they killed him. And then they didn't kill him. Good, good. <laughs> I was really scared that they killed him. I was like, oh, don't get rid of your best gambit. Like, that's that's your ace in the hole. Right, right. <laughs> if you want to have a dude that, like, exudes, like, super dickish guy stuff, but is also, like, super charming, Joe Fines. Mm-hmm. Like, what are they going to do? Get Ethan Hawke? Like, they're not going to get him. No, 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 no. He's, He's too busy. He's doing other work. He's too busy. <laughs> so, uh... I want to get into season three and talk about some of the really key moments. That ending of the first episode where you see the book of Kevin. Kevin finds out a gospel is being written about him. Blah, blah, blah. Things happen. But then the last five minutes of, or not even five minutes, last three minutes of that first episode is you are transported to a different location. You see someone... Oh, last minute and a half, yeah. Yeah, delivering doves to this church, and a nun approaches this woman. I forgot that it happened. That early, right? Uh, no, no. At like, all? When the last episode started, I forgot about that. Oof. And it wasn't until I realized what the last episode was, I was like, oh, right, that's a thing! That's a thing that happened before! Right. And so they give you a little taste of what's to come. And you see the nun confront Sarah and says, I have a picture of this man. Or I, this man came looking for you. No, 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 no. It's not even that. It's, uh, she says... Does the name... Does the name Kevin, Kevin mean, mean anything, anything to you? you? And she turns around and it's clearly an older Nora. Mm-hmm. And she says, no. Which I was very confused about when that happened. When that happened... That's one of those moments where you're like, did I... Did I skip something? Right. And they did it again. Because at the beginning of season one, you wonder, like, am I watching the right show? Mm-hmm. And then at the beginning of season three, you're like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? And I fully expected that long-haired person on the bike to be Kevin Sr. And then it turns around and it's a woman. And it's like, Of course. Because oh. you... Can we talk about the... Since we're on the first episode of season three? Yes. Since we talked about the opening to season two... Oh my goodness. We got to talk about... The cold that open. That amazing... Mm-hmm. Opening to season three is just like uh, devastating on multiple levels, but also like extremely beautiful to look at. Uh, the please, please. Sure, sure. We're we're introduced to a very small community that we don't know where they are in time and place. We expect it to be fairly old. Uh, something that no longer exists. Very uh, the Vich like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, we don't know if it's like an Amish community or a Mormon community, and we're introduced to this small village of a church and various houses, and them predicting that some kind of apocalyptic event is going to occur, and telling the families like it's going to happen this day. You should be expecting something to happen at this moment and seeing all of these families standing on the top of their roofs of their houses, expecting someone to be raptured, all of them to be raptured, just like living a very pious life. Which uh, people going up on roofs becomes kind of like a a string throughout season three where we have all of our main characters end up going up onto roofs. Of some sort. Of some sort for some kind of uh, personal realization. Right. And then you see this entire community start to doubt that things are going to happen. And this 
one woman is left being the sole believer that this event is going to occur the, and being ridiculed. The, the devout. The right. devout one. Yep. And her and her family it's, abandoning it, her because it, they don't believe it anymore. It really upsets me because it is one of those things where it's like, you know, I'll throw shade at religions time and time again because I'm just kind of like, eh, that's fucking silly. I don't believe that. But this is a show that really taught me, like, the idea of, like, what it is to believe these things. And it's, like, even inside the community of people that believe a certain religion, there are outliers that Mm -hmm. maybe believe too much compared to all of them. Like, there are, you know, it's like high school. You're all in high school and you all don't know anything. anything. But there's going to be bullies that like find the weak ones or right. they'll find the ones that they perceive as weak. And in this opening, they really kind of show like even this woman who had a family, the family eventually leaves her. But she is so devout in her ideology and her belief that she'll continue to do it. Right. And it's very much like as a good show does. Uh mirroring what the end the very last 10 minutes of the show is that if you believe something people are going to leave you people are going to dismiss you but if you believe something and you honestly actually believe it that shouldn't matter and it's the inverse of that as well where if you're saying something that you're not sure people are going to believe, it doesn't matter. If you think that that's what you should say, say it. Right. And the people that believe you are the ones that will stay with you. It's not necessarily they're the ones that are worth it, but it's you have to do, you got to roll the dice. It's like, it's a very two-sided coin. Right. uh, The last season of uh, The Leftovers. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Quickly, before we get into the last two episodes, we'll probably glaze over the penultimate episode, but go hard into the last episode. But uh-huh. very quickly, a very like small character that really blew me away in the third season was this woman named Grace. So the third season takes place in Australia. Kevin Sr. has gone there because he feels it is, it is his mission to sing all of these tribal songs, dance all of these tribal dances along the edge of the Australian coast and prevent this flood from happening. And this causes him to meet this woman named Grace. And Grace is a woman she was married. She had five foster slash adopted children uh, with her husband and she went away to the grocery store which they live out in very, very rural Egypt or Egypt, Australia. Mm. And uh, they're out. And so she goes away for a couple days on a trip to acquire certain things, a shopping trip, essentially. And when she comes home, her husband's gone. Her five children are gone. And she does not look for them because she thinks that they were raptured or departed because in the town that she was in at the moment of the departure the cashier departed multiple other shoppers departed and so when she gets home she thinks well all of the bibles are laid out in the church and my family must have departed and then she finds out 
months later that they found the remains of her children who went searching for her. And that scene, along with the last scene of The Leftovers in season three, brought me to tears. Just the fact of someone believing that something happened because others said it to be true. And her causing, not by any ill will at all, the death of her actual children. Yeah. Was heartbreaking. It's devastating in its own regards in every way that you just said. And it's also late in the game, another version of kind of like Meg's backstory where it's like, we have people in this world that like somebody close to some people died the day before. Right. And they're not getting any recognition. It's another version of that where it's like, there are probably people out there who, when this event happened, they were like, oh, this person's gone. And, uh, well, well, they're, they're gone. gone. What, what am I supposed to do? And then months later, we'll find out, no, you could have done You could have found them. Anything. Right. And you would have found them. Like, all you had to do was walk less than a mile in that direction. You would have found them. But because you believed what everybody was saying, you lost all your children. Right. Right. It's devastating. It's very fucking sad. And this is a character, too, that we Barely don't know, know at all. Like, if we, anything, we shouldn't like this character. Like, we saw her drown a Australian sheriff. Named Kevin. <laughs> named Kevin that we knew, like, oh, you just murdered that person. And she's actually very uh, upfront about it, too. She's like, yeah. I murdered somebody. I need to turn I'm myself gonna, in. Yeah. It's not until she meets Kevin Sr. where Kevin Sr. is like, oh, I'm your kind of crazy. Hold on a second. You got the wrong <laughs> Kevin. Right, right. I was actually nervous that he uh, he was going to... I thought Kevin Sr.'s character was going to take like a twist and try and be the Kevin in the book. In the gospel. Because it's Kevin Garvey. Kevin Garvey, Kevin Garvey, Kevin Garvey. Right. And he's Kevin Garvey. And that he was going to... When Kevin... Uh, Justin Thoreau Kevin showed up, that he was going to try and kill him so that everybody didn't find out. Oh, and that by the time no. Kevin showed up, like, some months had passed uh, since he, like, met Grace and, and, and said, uh, you got the wrong Kevin. I'm your God. I'm the one. Because that's really what it seemed like his episode was doing, that he was really upset that he wasn't the, the main character right. in the book that, you know, Matt and John and Michael were writing. Right. And I thought that that's where they were going. And I'm actually really happy that they more went with, no, he's going to stay true to what he believes is going on. Listening to the voices in his head. And I'm really happy they did that. I agree. Because I thought for a second that like when Kevin gets to Australia, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. When Kevin (laughs) sees uh, Evie in the thing. In Good Day Melbourne. Mm. Yeah. That was a lot. That was a lot. A lot. I mean, we're, we're we're getting to the end of this right now, so... Yeah, we are. What do we want to do right now? Well, I was just going to say briefly that I very much enjoyed Kevin Sr.'s approach to life, saying that, like, no, we're all, like, main characters in our stories. You're mm-hmm. a supporting character in my story. And I think that's a good way of, like, giving meaning to your life and... Allowing you to realize that there are other people who are also main characters in their story. That's the lesson that he learns. Yes. He doesn't know that always. He learns that in that episode where he goes, oh no, I'm... 
I'm, I'm a, a secondary character. character in a very important story. Right. My story is important, but there's a bigger picture going on. Which is very cool. Yes. I think that's an important lesson for anyone. Totally. Yeah. To have empathy for any other person in your life. You have to realize. It's the main point of the show. Is, yeah. you know, when it brings up questions and answers and all of this different stuff, whether it be religion or beliefs, structures and stuff like that, at the right. end of the day, they're saying the best way to be a person is to be a person of the world and just like understand everybody. There are other things going and on. if you don't understand, attempt to understand. Right. You're never going to understand because you're not them. It's like, you know, I, I, I always want to attempt to understand women. Sure. I'm never going to fully understand the mentality of an American woman because I'm not one, but I can try as hard as I can to come as close as I can to be able to understand better that I can attempt to help. In making, like, the world not, like, an absolute fucking barrel fire for yeah. women that it is. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. That's the whole point. Hashtag feminism. Yeah. That's it. Uh-huh. That was very good. That's it. That's it. So, do you want to get into the penultimate episode? Duh. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Oof. That was a lot. President versus international assassin. The most powerful man Psyches. in the world. And his identical twin brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a very, very cool episode. I, It did not take me out at all. In a less perfect show, I would have been like, what? Like, this is your second to last episode, and this is what you're doing? But in this show, it just totally makes sense. I, When I was watching the show, I didn't realize. I, I, I oh. obviously knew that, like, oh, this is the seventh episode. There's only eight. So right. there's only one more. Watching the episode, it really kind of like went like one ear out the other, kind of like, oh, this is the penultimate. And in that same regard, it's really perfect that it is because yes. the last episode pulls such a 180 on like right. what the show is doing. And the seventh episode ends with such a what like kind of thing where it's like, you don't know what's going on in the eighth episode. And that's kind of the eighth episode's charm is that right. you, you don't know, like, are they pulling a loss? Like, is this like a purgatory kind of thing? Like, as people are showing up, they don't remember stuff. Um, But yeah, like the, the seventh episode is. I I'm actually a lot. It's Kevin going I'm at a loss for words. Time. It's it's just very perfectly done as far as like the capper. Like this, that episode is the capper to Kevin's story. Yes, because the last episode is the capper to Nora's story, and in that we get a little bit more of closure for Kevin. Right. But at the end of the at the end of the seventh, we get. Kevin is uh, understanding what he needs to do. Yeah, he is he is separated between he's no longer uh confused about control. Now what he is is he he he's really fucked up about what he did with Nora. Right. And telling her like well, fuck you. He essentially <sighs> he essentially fuck you'd to Nora and, and said her. like if you yeah. care about this, I don't fucking care, fuck you and left. 
And yeah, he, him telling her when she says, my children are gone. And he says, well, you should go be with them then. Yeah. And leave her. It, it's not, it's not bad for him to say that because he's, he's pushed at that point. Sure. Like, he's trying to figure shit out. And Nora has, also trying they, to figure they've shit left out. They like. They can't do it together. At the beginning of season two, they have this very awesome thing where they are 100% honest with one another like they're like he he does the whole shit at the river and he comes in and he goes i blacked out and i went out to the river and i think i tried to kill myself and i saw the car like he tells him immediately i I saw the the girls opposite of what tv does right he doesn't hide it where it's like ooh, we know and he knows but they don't he says it straight up right and as season two and season three go on we see that that bond uh goes away and they're not being honest with one another. And he even says, like, we don't even fu- – like, why don't we not talk about anything? Because we don't talk about anything, anything anywhere. We talk about nothing. Yeah. And Nora is as upset with him as he is with her. And they're not communicating. And so they get in a fight. And and they essentially both tell each other – you know, when, when she says, like, my kids aren't dead. They're gone. That's her saying, like, fuck you. Right. You don't Understand. know – what I am. You don't know what I'm going through. And when he says, well, why don't you go be with them? That's the response. Fuck you too. I'm out of here. I lit this thing on fire. Fuck you. You don't, you don't fucking know who I am because they're not communicating. Right. Yeah. For as much as it came across that Kevin was the more fucked up person in that situation, I think Nora was. Nora is very fucked up. Yeah. She was not in a good headspace Kevin at is, all. Kevin is psychotic. Right. Nora's, <laughs> Nora's fucked up. Like, yeah. <laughs> Nora's just, like, very, very depressed and needs to deal with it. Yeah. Kevin is psychotic genetically. Like and he's is trying to deal with it. Right. Right. Uh, by thinking of himself as, like, a... As a second coming. As a second coming, while also saying, like, oh, I'm, I'm not, not the second coming. Uh. <laughs> right. Um... And I think that that's what makes the last scene so beautiful is that we're given these guys, and we'll, we'll get back to episode seven. Sure, it, sure. It, but it, we're given these two characters that the last time that they saw each other, it was volatile. It was yes. hard. And these are two people that the only reason that either of them had anything left to go for were each other. Right. And all of a sudden they've been separated because, gosh darn it, they, they just couldn't it. fucking talk to each other. They couldn't be honest with one another. And I think that that's what makes in the eighth episode the fact that um, Kevin attempts to reconcile with her through lies. And erases their history. Exactly. Yeah. I think is both poignant and um, definitive of their relationship is that they have been lying to each other the whole time, but also completely willing to just like bluntly tell the truth when it's necessary. Right. And it's like, he shows up and he's like, you don't need the truth right now. Right now, I need you to at least listen to me. And so, hi, we used to go to high school together, blah, blah, blah. Listen to me. Come to the wedding. Boom. And as soon as she does that and he goes, okay, she's not buying it. And she, she's, I, I, he never expected her to. He's like, good. Now I go up and knock on the door Again. with a half a bottle of whiskey in my stomach and go like, I'm not fucking like the stupid shit. That we've dealt with. I just want to be Let's happy. I just want to be happy. And I want you to be happy. And why don't you want to be happy with me? 
I'm being selfish. I understand that. But for the love of God, what's going on? Why can't we just do this? And then she either lies or tells the truth. Mm-hmm. And either way, he goes, yeah, sure. Right. Totally. Right. I mean, I love the penultimate episode as well, but I love the actual series finale way more. Exponentially more. As like an episode. Yeah, as oh, an episode. It's all perfectly put together. The, the doves at the end. Yeah. Yeah. The, that, it's just yeah. like. So. <sighs> okay. Yes, yes, should, yes, yes. Should we maybe skip like the hard read of episode seven? And go straight into episode eight and just say, What's like, the hard read episode seven? Go well, for it. Just the, They've lasted, the listeners have lasted this, this long. long. They don't, they don't care. Oh, just the fact that we are basically told that Kevin has been writing this romance novel, essentially, and that he has been hiding it from everyone. This is the worst. And then to find out that, like, he's finally acknowledging, like, all right, to blow up the world and to kill the thing that is holding me back from what I want most. I have to basically kill a part of myself, dig into his heart, grab a key, he destroy has to the kill world. His, he's separated into two versions of himself. Right. One is the guilty remnant version where yeah. he says, like, there is no family. Right. Um, and we can just go, but he's conflicted with that. And the other one, they're both him. They're both him. But they're both presented in these... Uh, from the outside looking in. Right. Uh, international assassin, it, he, he's a dude that wants no connection with family or anything like that. I can just go around the world, have sex with women, kill whoever I want, and just have fun. As long as he doesn't look into a mirror. Exactly. Oof. And once he self-reflects, mm-hmm. he goes over to the other side, which is the guilty president of the guilty remnant. Right. Who is uh, this guy that is leading the idea that there is no family, there is nothing. And so he's being presented with two versions of himself that are both uh, despicable, right. that are both n- maybe not right. But he also understands in himself that the idea of him constantly questioning himself is always going to be a part of who he is, regardless of which one lives. He and is. I'm very glad they didn't make them like fight to the death. Right, right. One had to sacrifice themselves. And yeah. it's the one that sacrifices himself by having the key in his heart that he has to pull out. And when he finally pulls it out. And he says, we messed up with Nora. We messed up with Nora. Ah, oh, And then that, yeah, leads us into... And then he has to go kill himself. And he says, like, you have to blow this place up. Why? So we can never come back to this place. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to be there anymore. He's like, this place is too much. I can't. This can't be a reserve We can't keep doing this. We can't keep just, like, dying and coming back here. There has to be an option that it's, like, no more. No more. We can't come back here. It's not healthy for us. And also, seriously, this place is fucked up. Like, we (laughs) shouldn't be coming back here. Right. And so that being the last time that we see Kevin Kevin as it is Kevin, and then the next time we see him is showing up and he is to Nora's door, and he's just like, oh, hi. And the way that he found her, in, realistically, oh, yo, that's some romantic shit. It's some super stalker shit, but it's, that's like some romantic end of the world shit. Taking a week-long vacation in Australia. 
once a year, once a year and showing everybody her. you see a picture. her picture. Have you seen her? Have you seen her? Have you seen her? And he finally finds her. And when he does, he plays it cool as a cucumber and goes <laughs> in like, I forgot you. Amnesia. Hello. Oh, my goodness. And her uh, really not wanting to go to this dance. That Kevin is inviting her to. And the fact that she... Turns out to be a wedding. And the fact that she calls up Lori and, like, tells her. And Lori's like, why did you call me? Well, I mean, this is the thing, too. We haven't even touched on with Lori committing suicide. uh, Yeah, the the fact that Lori may or may not have committed suicide at the end of, like, episode five. And you just don't know. Mm -hmm. Until then. And you see older Lori and you're like, is this a purgatory? What is this? Kevin could have just died before he woke up. At the right. end of episode seven, Nori got fucking, Nora got obliterated in yeah. the machine that she was in. Yeah. And Lori committed suicide and died. Yeah. And they're all three of them are in this place. They're the only the three only characters three that we characters. get. And they are all three characters that within the past three episodes, we have been given the possibility that they died. Mm-hmm. It's all about whether or not we believe that they'll what either go is? through with a suicide or we believe what they're doing. Right, right. It's a fucking good show. <laughs> it's, a- it's a really good show to pull that off. Like, that's insane. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, seeing her consult Lori. And I love the whole idea of, like, same time next week. And mm-hmm. the fact that Nora doesn't always call Lori. But she still considers herself a patient of Lori's. And they're... Lori says, well, give me... What does she say? Give me something. Give, G- me-, give me a dollar. She's like, I only got hundreds. Oh, give me a pack of cigarettes. Right. Because her pack now of cigarettes. Now you're my patient. Goes, Congratulations, you're my patient. Yeah, I can't tell anyone about you. Mm-hmm. And so they, sh- Nora has all of these secret keepers, uh, Matt and Lori, of like whether or not she went through with this experiment to send her to wherever the departed were. Mm-hmm. And then we come in and we see this older version of Nora and we're left to believe like did she go through did she not go through what happens uh Matt's also Matt's last line like last words to her where he's like I don't the culmination of his thing he's like I I how can I stand in front of people and pretend to know the answers when I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about like it's for a man of God to say that. And I will say this too. Like I've been presented with tons of fictionalized priests right. that I've never really bought as like, oh, that's a man of God. That's a person who's a priest. Like that's an actor pretending to be a priest. And maybe I'll see some more of this with First Reformed when yeah. I finally go see it. The last one I saw before this one was Calgary. Okay. Uh, if you saw that uh, I three or four years ago, Brendan Gleeson plays a priest. Oh, I did not see that, but okay. I really wanted to because so I good. love me some Brendan Gleeson. It's good. <laughs> he is the barbecue sauce of life. He makes everything <laughs> so good. And he he looks like he tastes like barbecue sauce. And he also can very easily play a priest, I think. He looks smoky. <laughs> yeah. um, he's like, but I bought uh, Chris Eccleston as... As a preacher. As, like, a man of God by the end. It wasn't all the way through. Yeah. You know, by the second season episode that he had, I was still kind of like, yeah, I get it. He's a priest. Sure. Right. By the episode that he has in season three, I was like, this is a dude that really fucking hates the fact that he's a man of God at this point. He, yeah. he is, he, he'd rather be anything else 
but he can't admit it to anybody, especially himself. And that's what really solidifies the character to me. So when he has those last moments with Nora in episode seven, yeah, or I guess it would be episode six at that point. I believe so. Certified. Yeah. It's just like, it's really sad to see somebody fall from grace. Yeah. So much. It's so humbling and humanizing for him to confront Nora and says, like, well, maybe I can just go with you. Or no, Nora says, maybe you can just come with me. Why don't you come with me? He's like, nah. That's not the point. That's not the point. Right. Mm-hmm. That won't get you what you need. That won't get me what I need. What do you There's think no she says? This. What do you think she says? That's another big one. Ooh, when the process is the almost process complete. The process is happening, yep. Inside the, the chamber, the tomb, the water's filling up, mm-hmm. and she goes... I think it's more of a gasp. I don't think it's stop. Well, that's what they're that's what they're intending that it's stopped. Yeah, that she decides not to go through with it. They let her out. She doesn't end up getting transported or killed, uh, and she lives out her life in mm-hmm. Australia, hidden. Can I tell you what I think she says? Sure. Steve Tyler. <laughs> It brings it full circle. It brings it full circle. Maybe she just really likes Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. You never know. Oh, oh, yeah. She could say anything that starts with S, really, if you think about it. <laughs> really? Yeah, and just like, uh, Samwise Gamgee deserved an Oscar. He did. <laughs> he Sean did. Astin. Sean, Sean Astin! Yeah, yeah, deserved an Oscar for absolutely. Return of the King. He's absolutely amazing. He carries that entire film. He does. He does. I mean, look. Elijah Wood ain't no slump. He's kicking ass in that movie, but Sean Astin fucking carries that. That's the one that won Best Picture for Academy Award, all these different things. And I'm telling you, Sean Astin, in any storyline in that, is what carries that movie. And he he, he at least should have been nominated. Yeah, he didn't even get nominated. He didn't even get fucking nominated. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) Because they, they won all 11 that they were nominated for. Yeah, uh-huh. And uh-huh. they would have won 12 they if Sean Astin If they were like smart enough to be like, oh, look, that's like one of the greatest supporting uh, performances of all, of time. all time. It like completely like hammered out like a $300 million franchise. Like that's fucking nuts. <laughs> we should at least nominate him. Like wouldn't that be great? I can't believe they... Mm-hmm. I agree. What, I agree with you. So leftovers. Uh, so I don't know what she was going to say if it did begin with an S. But I think it was more of like a, this is cold. I can't believe I'm going through with this. Starts this with is, a T. This is my last breath that I might ever experience. I think it was a gasp. She had to s- 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 It was a s- It's a s- For sure. For sure. It's meant to be inferred as a stop. Yeah. I don't think that we're meant to, in like that kind of kooky way, mm-hmm. I don't think we're meant to know like what it could have been besides that. I think it's specific because that's at the beginning of episode eight mm-hmm. and that's at the beginning of like here we are mm-hmm. the first like uh the episode eight is an hour and 15 minutes long right and the fr- very much which like most episodes are only an hour so the first right. 15 minutes are a culmination of her getting into the thing and doing all of that and then we have an hour of that which right. i don't know if we mentioned like you mentioned it in your article but the penultimate episode in the last episode use season one's opening song right right and season two's opening song which i cannot tell you how like high fivey with a best friend it was to hear season one's opening song again for the first time in like a couple days i was like 
There you are. <laughs> it's like, this is going to be heavy. This one's going to be heavy. Mm-hmm. This one, the last one, back goes, to like Goes right roots. back to the jolly, joyous. Yeah. 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 Everybody is talking about when and where they all came from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, I think it really speaks to like, this is very natural. Like everything that you are going to see speaks to our relationship to nature in general and how you feel about the place that you live. And I think the fact that we see an older Nora who's possibly lived for what, like 30 years, 35 I think it's 25 25. is the actual number. I was confused about that. And I think they mentioned it in the interview that I watched. It was like, it takes place 25 years later. Wow. Which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. If they're all like, these are adults. They're in like their late 30s, early 40s, True. 25. Put them in they can 60s. show up with old man makeup. Absolutely. Did you know that her hair, the wig that she's wearing is actually 60-year-old hair? What? It costs like $10,000. What? Stupid, say, but cool. I am a fan of... Wigs? The, the NBC show that's very popular with uh, Mandy Moore. I'm blanking on the name. This Is Us, which is a terrible name for a show. I'm very... I think it's a really good name. I'm very into This Is Us, but the aging makeup... you watching it? Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen it all. Is it good? Oh, yeah. I really like it. How good? Uh, Not Leftovers good. Well, duh. But, uh... Pretty good for right now. <laughs> Me and Diana are on the fence about this show because oh. we're like, I want to watch it because like everybody's talking about it, but well, I also don't want to only watch shows because everybody's talking sure. about it. It's that, yeah, yeah, it's that fine line. It really like I only have one show space in my heart per time of my life that like feels like that like drama that gets to you it makes you cry that type of thing Bernadette is doing this great (laughs) shoulder shrug while pointing a finger it was like think about as sassy as shoulders can get while pointing a finger (laughs) so when parenthood ended because I was really into parenthood this is us kind of filled that void okay and I like this is us but the makeup like the aging makeup that they do on Milo, Ventimiglia, and the heroes Mandy guy, Moore. Yeah. yeah, it's bad. When I saw the leftovers and what they did to Carrie Coon Dude. and Justin Theroux. Dude. They looked so good. Justin that is Theroux how they're going to look. I was like, oh, Carrie Coon looks great in that old person makeup. That's really good. Then Justin Theroux shows up and I was like, holy shit. Who the <laughs> fuck did this? The dude that did like the Gary Oldman movie this past year? These were really good. Yeah. Very good. I did not see that film, but the makeup looked amazing. What do you think about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, are we? I think we're very close. Yeah, we're about. Oh, well, I don't know. You look like you kind of want to talk some more. But... I think I've pretty much gotten everything out there that I really cool. need to get out. If cool. you've got something else that you want to pump out little, into the airwaves, yeah, just please a little do, bit more. please. Uh, so yeah, that last episode with those, uh, the wedding scene where. Nora finds out that she was invited to a wedding, which is the wedding that Kevin and Nora never got to see. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. And she feels very blindsided by the fact that she got invited to also essentially... Also the fact that the doves and she's... And the doves. She's working with that and she's like... Mm-hmm. Why'd you bring me to this? 
And so the fact that Nora has had everything in her life that is good ripped away from her and the fact that now she has a profession in ripping away false well like they're Lying. they're real happy sentiments at nice, a wedding nice lies and then she takes them away hmm. is Super sad. The whole last episode is filled with characters lying to each other in a beneficial way. In right. lying to be right. kind. And that's why at the end you're like, well, well. did she? So, I like to believe, and it does not matter at all how it impacted you, I don't Ooh, think. You're going to do this? Me. Okay. Yeah. I think she went there. Okay. I think she went to the area where the departed were transferred. And I think she came back. She's a very determined lady. She never gave up on what she thought she needed to know. And even if she didn't go, and if it made her realize that she didn't need to know, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. And I might rewatch this tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I, I not uh, because I think I'm wrong, just because I I like it. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, so good. I know that uh, the easiest thing for me to say is that um, it doesn't matter to me if she's right. lying or not, which is the I point. I also agree. I would say that I don't believe her, mainly because from a story structure point, Nora's arc throughout the entire show has always been like being brutally honest, mm-hmm. and that. You know, if she's just going to be brutally honest at the end of the show, if you start out with a character who's brutally honest and then you end with a character that's brutally honest, where's the the growth in that? And I think that in the last episode, it is very much hammered home to both Nora and the audience that sometimes you just lie. Kevin says it to Tom in the ninth episode, one of the greatest episodes of TV ever, ninth episode of the first season. Uh, Kevin says to Tom, he's like, sometimes you just have to lie. You just have to fake it. Mm-hmm. And in that point when he's saying that, it's like kind of fucked up because you're like Kevin's lying about himself, his family and everything. Right. And I think that Kevin is a guy that knows that sometimes you have to lie to get away with what you're doing. And that's what makes him being completely honest with Nora and Jill moving to Miracle so big in the second season and so sad when it starts to go away because he starts to feel afraid that he's losing his mind and that he's going to scare away what what's left of his family right that nora that they have that they have switched sides that nora has learned that yes sometimes you have to tell not necessarily the lie that other people want to hear but you have to give the impression of what happened to you to other people to make yourself more comfortable with what happened because if she didn't go through that means that she chickened out from what she told the people that were the closest to her that she was going to do. Mm-hmm. And that because she was so ashamed of that, she didn't go to her brother's funeral. Right. And that she didn't do all of these other things. And that she just hid away. And I think that that is a more Burge ending sure. than... Like like a sadder ending and that she finds hope in the fact that when she tells Kevin the story that Kevin says, I don't even care if this is absolute bullshit. I believe you because it's better to just be with you right now. 
I've, I haven't seen you for 25 years and I don't want to spend another hour away Without from you. you. Sure. I believe you. It doesn't matter. You're Nora. You're, I love you. Let's stay. I like that. But I also like the fact that it could very easily be the complete opposite version and still have a different impact on belief structure. In right. I like that. I. It's a really good show. <laughs> I think the fact that she was so hung up on the nun lying to her about the doves or anyone pilfering Interesting. her doves. Because I'm that, looking at that as a reason why she would lie, but that you're, you're right. Like and the I'm fact that she goes, you can't way. do that. You, you can't, can't lie to me. And so I think right. she's so hindered. There's on no right or wrong tell. here, too. No. Like we understand this to the listeners, too. Like right. that, that's the whole point. That, right. That's why it's such a great series finale, is they give you all the different versions that this shit could, could go. Right. Right. Yeah. I always saw it as like she is so dedicated to the truth and being told the truth. Yeah, why would she lie if she's going to be doing that with that? Yeah. I just. I can't imagine. And I can also see her finally seeing the other other side, seeing her family living without her, seeing that they were okay, or slash that they are as separated from her as she has always been from them. As, as that being the moment where she's like, all right, well, I've really been like ruining the past however many years that I had on actual earth. Mm-hmm. I need to get back to that because I'm not going to completely ruin what's been going on here just for my sake, now I finally see what I've been missing out on. I want to get back to that. All of the people that I have met. At that point, Kevin was more real to her than her husband and her oh, children. Abs- oh, dude, absolutely. So oh, I don't know. It could go either nail. way. No, you hit the nail on the head with that. Like that's I've been trying to figure out that emotionality between. That's absolutely. Oh, it's beautiful. so good. Beautiful. Yeah. And that's like uh, the, um, fuck, I lost it. Yeah, it's gone. Oh, I had it. It's departed. It's gone. It's departed. It went over to another place. Um, (laughs) I, oh, I got it. I got it. It's back. Um, uh, when they were shooting the first episode, Damon Lindelof, uh, suggested to the director that you should shoot a version of the laundry scene from the baby's perspective where the mom disappears because he always had it in his head that maybe this was the answer and tom parada said do not do that and he was like well maybe this is what we want to do when it ends and tom parada was like whatever we do at the end we're not going to show it and he kind of just said it like blase like that and so when it came time to make the season finale the series finale, Damon Lenilov's big thing was, we're going to write a scene where a character is going to explain what happened to The Departed, but we're not going to show it. They explain what happens, but we never show it. And that was inspired by, on like one of the first days of shooting the pilot, he was like, well, we want the same baby and we want the same placement so it, it matches. And maybe we could use that as like a final moment. And Tom Parada was like, I no. get what you're doing. But when whatever we get to, whatever answers we have, I can tell you this, you don't want to show it. And Damon Lindelof kind of took that and three years later was like, this is how we structure the final 15 minutes of the show. This is how we structure how we explain departure. And I think that that's fantastic. I agree. Because if you show it, then you're like, 
that's definitely what it is. And that goes against the belief the structure point. of everything. Yeah. God damn it. It's a really good show. If we haven't convinced you at this point to watch this show, there's nothing else we can do. I mean, do. we can just stop talking about it now. We'll just talk about it more in, in, in a year. In a year. We'll just do another year. <laughs> or should we wait three years and then talk about it? I mean, like, do you want to talk about it for another hour? <laughs> we we could, but... The listeners, the listeners don't want to listen to it. The dear listeners. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for persevering through all of this. Thank you, Burge. Not to party. For <laughs> not departed. Really, we had a ninety-eight percent of the listeners departed before the end of the episode. You two percent. We're coming to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> We're going through the machine. We're getting to you guys. Thank you, Burge, for talking to me about this. Thank you for t- telling me to watch this show passive aggressively through writing an article yes. that I had to edit and go. Darn, that sounds like a really good show. And, yeah, I would love to talk about this again in a year. Absolutely. Not I really want to sit on this, too, and, like, come on back and be like, well, I'm going to come back and I'll be a priest. And, <laughs> yeah. You'll have the cassock on. Mm-hmm. You'll have just come from a Body of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you I mean, again. The, you know, yeah. like, Kevin may not be Jesus, but he's got the beard. It looks good on him. Yeah. He's definitely got the body of Christ. <laughs> And he also has the blood of Christ. Is that too stretchy? Right? Yeah, that's too. Huh? He's got the body of Christ. He bled a little bit, right? He was shot. They shut the fuck out of him. He should have died from that. Like that's God shit. Yeah. He gets shot in the chest. He gets shot in the heart, and yeah. he was still like kind of rolling around. Yeah, that's God shit. Yeah. yeah, God's real. There you go. Leftovers proved it. <laughs> God's real. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you to everyone who have participated in this podcast, whether it's been talking or listening. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we'll come back in a year and talk about this again. Mm -hmm. Until then, please go to SoundCloud and look up Story Screen Presents. Catch any of our podcasts there. Or go to StoryScreenBeacon.com and check out all of our articles, reviews, and podcasts from that site. And buy a t-shirt if you're feeling a little spendy that day. Yeah, we got a t-shirt. We're also going to be having really cool stuff like uh, coffee mugs, stickers, Ooh. and buttons. I don't need any more coffee mugs, but I'm probably going to get one of those coffee Yo, mugs. Yo, dude, our coffee mugs are fucking cool. There you go. I just got like the first, uh, like the test ones to like see mm-hmm. if I like it. And like they're you like really, it. really fucking cool. Also too, we have to start doing this on podcast. Big thanks to Von Holt, Colin Chain, who does all of our music. Yes. He is an awesome, awesome dude uh, who just does all of our music for free and makes original music for us. He is a treat of a human being. So thank you, Von Holt. He's also a listener. So Oh, thank you very thank much. Thank you, Von Holt. Kissy kissy on the cheeky cheeky. Oh, all the love. Mm-hmm. This podcast has been all about love. And I've been Bernadette Gorman White. And I've been joined by... I have been the lovely Mike Burge. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Just, just a little taste of wine. Oh, okay. That's okay. That's I did bit on the, buy this table, on the table at Big Lots per your recommendation. It's a good table. I went to Big Lots. This was a cheap table.
They also have some really good ones at uh, Rite Aid, 50% off right now. What? In Beacon, they got like uh, like the kind that I have. It's like the six-footer that like uh-huh. goes up and goes down. It's like, I think it's like they normally want 50 bucks for it, but it's 50% off, so it's like 25 bucks. So I was even thinking about grabbing an extra one, even though I don't need it, because right? I'm crazy, and I need to buy things to feel like I'm alive. <laughs> so I try to keep it practical. Well, I've also heard that Old Navy is 50% off all shorts this weekend. Get the fuck out of town. That's what someone told me today. I'm in the... Market for shorts? I'm in the market for shorts, yeah. (laughs) I can get some shorts right now. 